the Augustin Hosinga Show with your host Augustin Hosinga. Smack the shit out your bitch ass midget girlfriend, nigga. Hello there, welcome back to the Agostino Zynga Show with I, your host, Agostino Zynga, and this is episode number 669 of the Agostino Zynga Show with I, your host, Agostino Zynga, and I hope this podcast is finding you well wherever you may be. I hope this podcast is finding you well wherever you may be. For those of you who are tuning in live to this podcast right now via the YouTube, via the live stream, if you're listening to this video audio platform, you can access my YouTube channel and check out this podcast in live video format at the following location, www.youtube.com forward slash at sign Taz with an S at the end. So T-A-Z-S T-A-Z-S Taz with the S at the end and you'll be able to find the Agostino Zynga Show channel and check through all the previous live streams and all the clips I put up on that channel also. So don't delay if you want to see what this beautiful face looks like and all you do is listen to my sultry voice. But yeah, we're back again. It's been a while. I haven't been on podcasting for a while, it feels like, maybe for a week, which is probably a little bit too long in podcasting land. But as per usual, sometimes you hear a bit of a rut, you know, hear a bit of a rut. You feel like you're talking about the same thing again and again. So it's nice to kind of let the world breathe let things happen in real time and then slowly but surely you can start to gather up some bits and pieces of stuff that you can talk about and by golly has things kind of kicked off and happened in real time and now i have plenty plenty of t- to talk about despite all the things that have been happening but um with me a personal kind of checking what's been going on not really that much to be fair um i'm slowly but surely realizing outside of clubbing and whatnot and maybe going to the gym and maybe going for a run there's not really much else that kind of drags me outside of my home which is a little bit of a concern i'm not gonna lie something i'm definitely need to address but i'm thinking for the last few weeks because i've been on my little burkine flipping training program type of thing right get myself in skinny shape i've been noticing that rah when i'm not going out to these clubs or whatnot every single night especially on the weekends there's really no excuse for me to be outside of my home which is wild to say the least so that's been a little bit of realization but apart from that it's been nice to be at home checking out some of the footballs and whatnot reading what i can read checking out some very gnarly and scary almost um in, you know nightmare inducing documentaries about north korea that i've been watching on various channels stuff about china and whatnot get into a doom spiral and start checking up on you know war footage on places like ukraine war reports subreddit and whatnot and checking out all that mad stuff going on there and it gets a bit crazy i'm not gonna lie it gets a little bit crazy but i've been enjoying it i think it's kind of done wonders to my pocket and my wallet i have way more money now than i usually would do in my pocket because usually usually 
around this time of the month all the money in my pocket has gone you know to various flipping adult treats and whatnot so it's been nice to sort of save those monies that i would have spent on adult treats on some more constructive stuff like hashtag books right look at that i've got a nice selection of b-o-o-k-s's here for the month of may because as i'm you know as i'm kind of broadcasting the show to you for those listening to the audio platform you probably hear this after the fact but as i'm you know putting this podcast together it is now probably about may 3rd when you're hearing this and these are the collection of books that i'm going to be reading all the way all the way through in flipping may so books number one as i've got here as much as you guys can see there um number one book i'm going to go through just to kind of give you an overview of what i've got here so far i've got join the future which is written by matt ennis and it's uh, the subtitle is bleep techno and the birth of british bass music i think most of you can kind of gather what that's going to be about so i'm looking forward to tearing through that then i've got this book here which is going to be turned into an actual tv series it's called high school and it's by Tegan, no, yeah, High School, and it's by Tegan and Sarah. Um, it's, it's got a lot of good recommendations from other podcasts I listen to, so I'm going to go check that one out. Because uh, I'm a bit of a history buff, I've got another book here on Roman Empire, right? As you can see here on the screens, most of you can see there. The title of the book is The Storm Before the Storm, The Beginning of the End of the Roman Republic. And this one's by Mike Duncan. So I'm looking forward to tearing into that when I do get a chance. Then I've got another weird recommendation. Very, very weird, right? Some of you guys won't get it. For those of you do for those of you that get it, you'll get it. I've got this book which is called How to Be a Boss Bitch. How to Be a Boss Bitch by Kristen Quinn. If you know, you know. For those of you who know, you know. I'm definitely looking forward to checking that out also. We've got Kristen Quinn. And the last podcast recommendation here I've got is Romantic Comedy by Curtis Sittenfield, which again I've heard recommended on podcasts. I think specifically on How Long Gone, they recommended um, this book and I wanted to check it out for the month of May. So those are the books I've got. And I've also got actually uh, one more. Oh yeah, I've got one more to check out here. Which I'll definitely be featuring on a random show. I just got delivered this one actually via uh, Joey Diaz's autobiography. Tremendous, Coco Diaz. Um, which I'm looking forward to tearing through, but I'll probably be talking about this more on the random show. If you want to check that out, definitely check out my random show stream. But I've got this also that I'm going to be tearing through for the month of May. So that's what I've been doing on that regard. Um, what else has been happening? Oh, it was bank holiday weekend here in London, or here in the UK, sorry. We've got another bank holiday coming up this weekend because of the coronation of flipping Prince um, Charles and whatnot going into uh, becoming King Charles, and then we've also got I think another bank holiday at the end of the month, so it's been a bit crazy. But I kind of missed out on all of it. I kind of purposely, you know, buried my head in the sand because I knew I wasn't going out, and because I was a bit sad, I was missing out on flipping Berlin May Day. May Day in Berlin looked absolutely crazy. I wish I was out there, but I didn't plan ahead of time. And if you don't plan those things ahead of time, um, the prices of the tickets are just too crazy. And I you know I'm used to paying like you know maybe maximum maximum for a return flight to from london to berlin about 150 right maximum 150 sometimes i can stretch to 170 but when you're looking at these public holiday times right because it's a public holiday over there in flipping uh, berlin it's may day and of course it's a it's a public holiday here um so usually the flipping you know low-cost airlines ramp those ticket prices up and the prices i was seeing for, to go to may day which is the first of may weekend uh, over there in berlin i think some people are still partying now heading off heading into the flipping wednesday and whatnot so usually the party start from usually midweek um so the of the week before so maybe even tuesday wednesday and they run all the way into 
until the following weekend, especially if it's over the weekend. It's absolutely crazy. Um, there's loads of really cool, amazing little parties on the street. People going nuts and having a good time. Um, loads of open air events because the weather really gets nice around this sort of time as well. And just really cool club events in general and many, many cool DJs playing. And I really wanted to go. Really, really, really wanted to go, right? And, um, it didn't happen. It really didn't happen. I didn't plan ahead of time. And then because it didn't happen, I don't know if you guys are the same, but when I, when I want to do something, no, when I, when I, uh, I'm kind of abstaining from something, I just usually bury myself away. I kind of lock the doors and kind of don't come back outside. But I also do a thing where I, I kind of pretend it doesn't exist. So because I, I wasn't going out, I wasn't on Instagram. I wasn't on my usual kind of platforms and channels and whatever, maybe checking things out. To, so I wouldn't get any kind of FOMO. I just kind of avoid it completely. I don't want to see anything. But now, obviously, you know, temptation got the best of me. So I've been browsing on Instagram, checking things. I'll be like, oh, my God, it looks so, so fun. So for sure, for sure, next year, I'm going to have that scheduled in as a thing to go to because it's a really easy thing to go to that you can obviously um, have a good time at. And I think for people that haven't probably been to Berlin before, I think May Day is probably the best time to go for you to get maybe an understanding of what that city is like in terms of its connection to nightlife and parties and djs and whatnot um it's a little bit supercharged like i said because every literally it's a public holiday you know things are closed everywhere but you can you know all the open spaces get turned into flipping open air events any bit of grass people are playing you know music from their speakers or somebody's djing in some makeshift little rig or something like everywhere someone's playing music right so it's a little bit of supercharged but if you want to get real understanding what that city is like i think a may day is a really good place to get it to because number one there's music everywhere number two it's really cheap and for the most part free so you can go to flipping you know spatties or spat course whatever they're called have you pronounce the name of it and grab a beer for one euro maybe now with inflation it's one euro 20 minimum and you can basically do a little bar crawl in all the, all the spat course around the area just even just kreuzberg area if you wanted to and just drink and go to different places and once you hear the sound you know jump in see what's going on go somewhere see what's going on or you could end up going to some of the rent many many parks that they have and there's always people throwing forest raves around that time and usually police are a little bit more lax because for the most part they do kind of hammer down on the forest raves they don't really like that sort of stuff too much but um usually around may day they kind of are a bit lax and let people have a good time and whatnot and you can go and you know do a forest rave whatever it may be so if you wanted to you could spend your entire time outside not even go inside of a club and have a great time so if you really want to get an understanding of what that club or that city is like, maybe maybe it's a good time to go to. Um, but you also have to do it ahead of time, especially if you're coming from London, because the tickets were legitimately insane. Like I said, I max I'm paying to go to Berlin is 170, especially now when you you know account for the rise in Airbnb rates. Um, because I think many years ago, um, Berlin specifically put in some laws in place where they basically prevented people from Prouse you know from price hiking um rentals and whatnot and loads of foreign um you know landlords whatnot were coming in and essentially renting properties in berlin long term without actually owning them and then flipping them again on airbnb to make a profit but then obviously that was taking away um you know properties from actual people that lived there so germany and berlin did a pretty good thing by instituting some laws in place that basically prevented that from happening long term but obviously for tourists like myself, techno tourists like myself, it makes it far harder to go there more regularly now because the prices per night 
in Airbnbs is nuts. Now it gets to a point now, especially if you start to earn more money or you just become a little bit more mature and maybe your, your way of flipping raving changes. Now I far much prefer to just get a hotel. I'm not too sure if you guys are the same when you go on holiday, but now I just prefer to get a hotel and just kind of do away with the whole key exchanging and all the rules and whatever else that happens, you know, with flipping Airbnbs and sometimes the awkwardness of going to someone else's home. Even if you're renting the whole place, you still, you know, it can be a little bit weird, that kind of exchange of like, hey, here we go. Here I am handing over the keys to this guy. I don't know if he's going to flip in, you know, trash my place. If he's going to be a good guest. It's just a bit of a weird energy. But with the hotel, it's like, you know, it's a, it's kind of, you know, you know what exactly what it is. And you just kind of go in, you do the job and kind of head out from there. So now because of the hike in the flipping per night stays, I found myself going there far less than I did before. Obviously, someone like myself, I think I probably do need to venture out. I'm getting a little bit too Berlin, you know, kind of obsessed. And it's kind of the safe and easy thing for me to do because it's like going out in a night, like, in a night out here in London. I'm kind of very familiar with the scene. I know a lot about the clubs and where they are and whatnot. You know, I'm kind of tapped into the things I need to be tapped into. So I'm comfortable. Whereas I need to be exploring other places. Like I've been hearing from a lot of my friends that, oh, go to places like Amsterdam because people are saying like, you know, clubs like the school, which I've spoken about a few times on my podcast, people are saying that that place is flipping amazing and I haven't been there just yet. And just overall, people are loving that scene far more than they obviously do Berlin because, you know, people, I guess, in Amsterdam are far nicer than some of the Berlin techno hipsters. But overall, that sort of comfortability and whatnot, it led me go all often. But now the you know, price hike and whatnot gets crazy. Anyway, long story short, if you're curious about going to Berlin, definitely recommend you check out um, those dates around May Day or just go on May Day. If not, try and go during the winter because usually the prices for flights out to Berlin in the winter are really cheap because it's fucking freezing. It's really, really cold. Um, and a lot of people don't like to go there when it's cold because it's nice to go there when it's hot. You know, you can sit in a park, you can have a beer outside, there's lots of open air events and whatnot, but I'm a little bit of a weirdo like that. I don't really care. You know, I can do either or. I don't need to always be outside. It's quite a nice thing to do because it gets to, you get, you know, you have stuff to do during the day, you know, that you can kind of hang out in and whatnot, have, you know, get, get some fresh air, vitamin D, read a book outside, maybe meet some new people, but it's not kind of, you know, it's not like a, a need that I must have, but definitely if you're your first time, I'd recommend trying those two sort of seasons and trying them out. But if you're going to do the May Day, try your best to book that shit early. Because if you book it late, like I was thinking to book it, the prices are crazy. I paid max 170 and I was seeing prices on Ryanair return from London to Berlin for like 300 and shit. I was like, nah, 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 nah. By the time you count the accommodation, spending money, picking up gear, you're already looking at a grand. It's like, that is crazy to go to a place like that. That's legitimately insane. So, um, but yeah, big up everybody that did go out there. And like I said, I spent most of my time, you know, head in the sand, removing myself from everything didn't want to see what was going on because i was afraid i was going to get fomo and then when i did finally did check it guess what i got the fomo i got the blood cut fomo and i did check it clearly um and one of the things that's been happening apart from obviously the stuff happening in may day in berlin um it was the last event allegedly that went down at printworks here in london and printworks i think i've had a bit of a love-hate relationship with printworks overall i think i've spoken about that club a lot of times on here on the podcast but one thing you can't deny you know boardwick live you know as a promotion company because it's weird because i don't know how you kind of view them or how i view them i'd view them basically as like the pinnacle of what promoter want to be right when i started promoting clubs as well around what i don't know what time that was it might have been like 25th no not 25th that was much 
later than that. It may have been like 2010, 2011 around that time, right? I started promoting club nights around London and whatnot. The kind of, you know, the, I think the long-term goal, even if you don't say it to yourself, would be to have an operation that allowed you to maybe open your own club, open your own record store, open your own studio space or just be like a roaming kind of production company slash sort of thing right where you could put on events in these cool places maybe festivals and stuff going forward but i think back then maybe a lot of people didn't really have those grandiose plans or whatnot but i think people like london warehouse events and obviously Baldwin live really sort of like harnessed that energy and were really steadfast in their plans and had some really big plans to the point where they got to a point where they were basically in charge of running spaces like Printworks and programming and whatnot and fleshing it out and making it viable and over time making it a bit of an institution. So even though I don't really, I never really kind of vibed with the place and I thought it was maybe a little bit overrated, I think as an operation, Baldwick Live should deserve a lot of respect for what they did, um, you know, in terms of transforming Printworks into what it is, um, into it being, you know, even in a short time it's been around in London it definitely ended up being a bit of an iconic venue to visit especially if you're somebody that's involved with the scene or just loves techno music in general or dance music overall it definitely is a good place to go and check out and whatnot and of course over the last few weeks they've been winding down the club and close and you know leading up to the closing because the people that own the land are going to be redeveloping it the usual gentrification story that we all kind of know and love but but it has to be said, this Bank Holiday Weekend raving did look quite special. Um, the headliner who they didn't announce beforehand, right? Special surprise headliner for the Monday was Flipping Bicep. And it's quite, I thought, perfect that they got Bicep involved when you consider that Bicep, if I'm not mistaken, were first involved you know in basically getting the club on the map i remember seeing early sort of visuals and pictures of biceps performance at printworks before they maybe had installed a lot of the flipping audio visual sort of elements there in the lighting they did some really cool sort of like you know screens at the back when they were performing i think skepta did a performance there also where he had a really interesting stage design so i think those two performances you know the skepta i think performance for maybe konnichiwa it might have been that album that i'm not too sure and of course biceps kind of performance there i thought basically pro propelled the club forward and it got into a place where they were literally you know basically not sure of options in terms of booking some of the best people and putting on some of the best parties and from what i can see from this clip here via the printworks channel um god almighty or printworks instagram account the bicep event went off crazy like people had a great time the visuals looked absolutely fantastic um i'm just going to put it up here on the screen so you can check it out here the caption says closing the doors of the press halls was always going to be a moment etched in our history and it was only right that we had feel my bicep champions of the scene close this chapter of printworks with us we'll be forever grateful for those of you who joined us tonight over the past six years it feels like the, the time has flown by in it i would have never guessed it was six years it feels like just yesterday this place opened but this is a, a, a clip taken from printworks london instagram account which features bicep closing out printworks on bank holiday monday here in london <laughs> On a 
necessarily absolutely incredible looked really cool and then they've got another post here that shows a lot more pictures so you can see what the vibe and the scene was looking like and i think visually visually one of the things that stands out about print works is that there's no other club i think in maybe in europe maybe there is in europe actually i take that back maybe in the U in the whole of the uk that looks like this this is what clubs in the uk used to look like you see i forgot the name of it but i think there was a club called pier one here in the uk and a few others that looked really impressive though like in former hotels and whatnot and just amazing venues but over time you know without draconian flipping licensing laws and nightlife laws and sound pollution all this sort of nonsense we basically became the country where clubs came to die club culture died right so many clubs have closed over the years so the kind of onus on club owners or potential club owners to open up in coordinated spaces is completely removed or gone away because the danger of your club closing um soon after you opening it because you had a fight or something or somebody unfortunately passed away is really high up because we don't really have any other solution here in the uk for some reason there is no you know there is no uh, process where club owners can sit down with local authorities or police or maybe especially after a tragic event and come to some sort of resolution that doesn't involve the club you know losing a part of its license having to reduce its opening hours or just closing outright so the onus on these potential club owners to come in and create these amazing spaces completely goes away so now what we have is an absolute deluge of the same thing these square boxes with some decent spotlights and a dj booth but no one's really creating kind of cool interesting spaces anymore that really kind of make you feel like even though again like even though i didn't enjoy myself in terms of going there because i thought the sound wasn't the greatest and you had to really get up because to the front to really kind of make it work i still felt like you know for terms of money wise it was way very well worth the money in terms of a show they put on an incredible performance. The production involved in print works is crazy. You go to, I think when I went last, went the sort of um, the the section where all the guys do all the flipping audio and the lighting and whatnot um, and all the smoke and all that malarkey was at the back. And there was at least, I kid you not, must have been close to 20 people in that little small cubicle on laptops and shit, moving the soundboard, like really on point. It was like a whole production, like a TV production sort of thing. So they go absolutely crazy when it comes to that sort of stuff. So I feel like when you're paying your £30, when you're paying your £40, £50, however much you're paying to get in there, you're definitely getting your money's worth for it. As opposed to other places where you go, where it's just a square room, a rectangular room. With a DJ booth at the end, and then you just, you know, basically getting overpriced for some nonsense. But I feel like they did a really good job of the production overall. This again features a post courtesy of the Printworks um, Instagram account. The caption says, Our closing show brought together some of the electronic music's most influential artists of our last dance. So they had Bicep playing, they had Peggy Goo, Dixon, one of my favorites, playing. They had High playing there, who I'm a big fan of again, and Fallon Moore, who I think a few of you probably have seen on Instagram and on YouTube doing absolute bits. So this is obviously a picture taken from up above. And if you're not familiar as well, if you guys, if you're in case you don't know, um, but if, if I'm not mistaken, I'm pretty sure this is right. But Printworks was the venue where in the new Batman with Robert Pattinson, where he's kind of, you know, um, fighting people through a nightclub and it's kind of red tinted and he sort of punches people up and all, it's all kind of looks like it's filmed in one shot. It was filmed in Printworks. I know the club looked like it was in New York, but the inside of the club was Printworks. That's where it was actually at. When you see him kind of walking up on the kind of, you know, onto the sort of, um, on this sort of, uh, what do you call it? 
sort of thing here you see him sort of punching in the air this is where he was he was in print work so that's definitely looking to check out let's see a next slide here more clips from the bicep show yo big up that indian dude i feel like in current therapy speak culture the word narcissism is used way too much like entire channels dedicated to it with hundreds of videos yeah, yo yo big up that indian dude i appreciate you brother thank you for the ten dollar super chat yeah for sure man narcissism i think is an overused term anyway i saw a really funny video with um what's his name with uh juicy santana actually or saucy juicy santana saucy santana and he was basically saying the same thing like people now have finally it feels like the internet all discovered narcissism the word at the same time and now people can't stop using it and sometimes people are just overusing it to describe people who are just being dickheads and selfish and whatnot and i don't think narcissism is an explanation for everybody being a cunt nowadays on the internet or with people or whatever maybe some people are just dicks and they hide behind these complex psychological terms or these vague you know hard to pin down psychological terms because it kind of makes them seem more interesting than what they are some people are just douchebags basically that's basically it some people are just douchebags and they hide behind those flipping labels for the sake of it but anyway uh, moving on um let me just mute this actually because all the videos keep skipping and it's annoying me um more clips here shows you dixon here behind the set he's grown out his hair a little bit looking pretty cool big up dixon um we're also seeing a clip here that features i'm not too sure who that's playing here let me see here brother tag it says here the person playing is Peggy Goo, actually. Okay, pick up Peggy Goo. This is Peggy Goo from the back. Let's just see what it sounds like. Okay, that's going to be pausing again for the sake of it. But yeah, Peggy Goo sounds really good. So big up her. And then we can move on to the next slide. We've got Hi there. I recognize the hair instantly. So big up her. And then the next slide, I think that's Hi again playing. And then what else? Then we've got Fallow Moore as well there with his hand in the air, giving it in his classic bucket hat. I wonder if he's actually bald under that bucket hat. Is this like a Tim Paul situation with Fallow Moore? Wild Guan with the, with that, with the hat. What, what's underneath this hat? Tell us, tell us, Monsieur, Monsieur Fallow Moore. Tell us, tell us, tell us. I would love to know what is under that hat because God damn it. He does not remove that bad boy. He does not remove it. Um, but yeah, moving on from that, just as an update on Printworks, some actual good news here, courtesy of The Guardian, actually. Save the Last Dance, London's Superclub Printworks aims to reopen in 2026. So you have to wait some time, but there's a possibility that Printworks will reopen in 2026 after closing just the other day, basically, which is hilarious because it kind of proves, you know, that all that song and dance they did about flipping closing and whatnot. And it's the last ever event. Rush to get your tickets. You know, they got me really good, right? Pick up the Indian dude. Appreciate it, brother. Top five European nations based on their club scene. Big up that Indian dude. Top five European nations based on their club scene. It's a hard one because I haven't been to many. That's a problem. I've only been to clubs in Spain, really. Um, Spain, France, and Germany. I've not been to every, any other European nation with the purpose of technotorism. That's why I'm saying I'm, I'm getting a bit lazy on the Berlin. So I'm getting a little bit comfortable with the Berlin thing. And I need to kind of explore other options and do other things because when i was on my absolute tip before when i was doing my techno tourism i was going to i was going to places like frankfurt like that was one of my first trips i went to after going to berlin and frankfurt if you've been there it's a really shitty city really for the most part apart from 
you know, the financial district and brothels and stuff. There's no reason to be in flipping um, Frankfurt. But I went there to visit one of the best clubs they've got there in that city. It's called Robert Johnson. It's named after this famous jazz musician. And it legitimately is one of the best clubs I've been to in my entire life. It overlooks this amazing river in Frankfurt. People kind of smoke cigarettes at the back there. The sun rises. It kind of, the, the light bleeds through on the inside of the club. It's kind of like 500 capacity. It's in the, the specked out really amazingly whatever um but long so short to answer the question i need to go to the more european nations to have a better idea of where you know where the top five kind of club scenes are but i would say off the off the top of my head from what i kind of know from people's talking about various things out there in terms of scenes scenes right i would say germany of course um i would say um holland or netherlands I would say probably France now. The Paris scene and, and outskirts is starting to pop off now or it has been popping off for a while. Um, I'll say Spain personally because I always have a good time when I go out there. I know some people don't like it if you're not a fan of the Spanish people, especially the types that come over here in club and whatnot, but I don't mind them. And then I would say lastly, Italians as well for the same reason. I feel like those two countries specifically have a very specific club scene and I love how energetic and enthusiastic they are about it and passionate about the scene and whatever it may be. They're real fans of the DJs too. I think a lot of DJs will tell you, I think so, the big ones would say, that they really love going to places like that, um, Italy and Spain, because I feel like they get a lot of kind of fan love as well, because I think a lot of people, there are heads, a lot of chin strokers in that scene. But there's loads of places popping up. I remember somebody told me in my comments, I should check out places like Latvia, I should check out places like Denmark, because um, the, the city there, Copenhagen, is meant to be pretty popping. Um, obviously, Stockholm and Sweden is meant to be doing some good bits as well. Um, the, the scene in Portugal, I've heard, is really good. Places like you know Lisbon and whatnot are starting to pop off. So there's many locations to go to, but for sure, those are the ones I'll kind of mention. And the people I mentioned in the chat, um, Greece is getting up there. Oh, big up Coyne as well in chat. Big up, big up. Um, Louis Schaud is saying Germany, NL. Yeah, exactly. See, people are saying the same thing I'm saying. Okay, yeah, and Poland. That's what I've heard as well. Um, nice one, Lewis. Um, I've heard the, the, the Krakow scene is legit. Like, the clubs out there are really good also. So, it's definitely ways to, to check out. And again, um, I'm not sure if is Georgia in the European Union. I don't know if they are, but Georgia is meant to be a pretty cool um, place to go visit. They have one of the best places um, to club there on, in the main city there called Tbilisi. One of the legendary clubs out there. Um, so, definitely places to go and check out. So, yeah, I'm into it. But yeah, going back to this article, courtesy of Guardian, it mentions that um, Printworks may be reopened again in 2026. Um, the article says as follows, after six years in which it has established itself as London's most ambitious and visually impressive new venue for electronic music, um, the, the, the closes doors and final time on Monday night, like countless inner city club closures in recent memory, this was a decision prompted by the commercial demands of our gigantic property developers. Over the next four years, the 53-acre site in which Printworks will sits will be flattened and rebuilt as developers British land and Australian super, transforming it into a glittering array of upscale shops, restaurants, offices and luxury flats. The issue I have with gentrification, legitimately for me, because I have a complex relationship with gentrification because in the place that I was brought up in, right, the place, the area that I was brought up in, which is around East London, which is the Custom House, Canning Town area, 
um, which happens to be just around the corner from Fold. Like I was actually brought up in that area, which is pretty nuts to think of. I kind of played around that area for the most part. Where Fold was was where all the local kind of postal um, offices were and whatnot. So if I kind of had a delivery of sneakers from the US or whatnot that I missed out on, I didn't pick up from the shop, I'd have to go and pick it up there around the Fold area, which is pretty funny. So now that place has become like hipster central. But for the most part, that area that I've kind of grown up in and obviously other parts of East London were, I think, massively benefited from, you know, light gentrification when we had the Olympics come here and they kind of, you know, they promised to rebuild certain places. They pumped money to certain things to make it look nicer and to kind of appease the tourists that were coming in because they didn't want to see a dilapidated, you know, Baltimore in the wire looking ass place. So they kind of injected the money into it. And I think it overall, it kind of helped the city or it helped where I was from look a bit nicer. And of course, a lot of people that I grew up with ended up getting jobs working, you know, during the Olympics, being kind of stewards and whatnot, because they ended up hiring a bunch of people. So gentrification for me, I think, can work sometimes in those kind of cases. But the issue I have to resolve gentrification is that it's so unimaginative. Like, we have so many of these things in London, right, where it says here um, they're going to rebuild that space into a glittering array of upscale shops, restaurants, offices, and luxury flats. There's no shortage of these areas in London. Yo, big up the Indian dude. Appreciate the super chat. $5. Big Georgia up. is a good shout. One of the best cuisines I have come across. Later, Zinga. Yeah, big up, big up, big up the Indian dude. Appreciate you. Oh, really? I didn't know that. I didn't know. Yeah. Um... I don't know, Central European food or Eastern European, however you're going to call it, can be a little bit hard for me to kind of get into because a lot of it's just like meat and potatoes, legitimately meat and potatoes. They cook it really well, don't get me wrong, but it can get a little bit boring after a while. But I'm open to see what Georgian food is like. That would be really interesting because I know as a culture, they're a little bit trippy because I'm at even places like, you know, Tbilisi, Tbilisi, Tbilisi being the good example of it, they're extremely, extremely conservative and religious, but then they have this incredible, really thriving, bubbling sort of scene of this LGBTQ kind of, you know, techno dance scene and whatnot that's kind of blowing up there on the sly, on top of all this flipping crazy conservatism and religiousness that they have going on there. So I'd imagine with that alone, that it would somehow lead to maybe some interesting food options just from that and of course where it's at in the in europe it's basically landlocked surrounded by loads of really cool vibrant countries that i think have really cool cuisine so that probably is going to seep in there but from what i remember of visiting places close to georgia places like czech republic for instance like the food was a little bit you know the Prague, you know it's just meat and potatoes after a while it can get a bit boring but you know what do i know but yeah um I wish gentrification would just be a little bit more imaginative. If you're going to gentrify a place, especially after all these cool, interesting people have come along and basically made a place that was overlooked and people didn't care about, cool and interesting and fun to hang out in, at least offer something imaginative when it comes to gentrifying the area. Don't just turn it into another district of glass and aluminium and steel crazy contraptions. We've seen it all before, these soulless coffee shops, you know, with these big glass windows and these big glass doors and these soulless bike shops and local flipping, you know, um, what you call it, uh, vegetable shops and whatnot. They trying to make it feel like it's an organic, you know, um, fucking homemade business type of vibe. It's just annoying. Like at least have some sort of half and half, and you never get that usually. You never get degentrified, which is really strange. 
I never understood that. Like, I understand coming in and maybe seeing a, 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 an opportunity to make some money because that's basically what the point of it is. I get it. But wouldn't you want to increase your chances of making money by somehow working in conjunction with the people who help to make that place pop in? So maybe, you know, putting together some sort of coalition or some sort of partnership that would allow you uh, to keep the main spots of that area popping and opening whilst you build in and around it all your shiny glass, you know, ugly contraptions. So you have this nice sort of marriage going on. But I feel like sometimes, you know, for the most part, they'll just, they'll just leave one place there that was there before the gentrifiers got there, build around it all these amazing, you know, all these horrible, sorry, you know, nondescript copy and paste steel and glass contraptions in terms of buildings these new people will move in there knowing nothing about the area just seeing it as a cool place they'll get annoyed at the people who were there beforehand because they're making too much noise and then because they are paying way more rent and they obviously have a lot more to kind of lose in that kind of case they'll then kind of get those people kicked out but i feel like if you kind of leave them in the kind of group if you kind of have more than two or three places there that were there before it kind of helps to help them band together but again you know i don't know much it continues the article but unlike most other shuttered clubs printworks potentially coming back just before a surprise headline set from bicycle monday night's closing the venues of praise border Live announced the provisional deal with british land for a revamp printworks reopen and develop the site on 2026 now again i like border live but i'm gonna call flipping gas on this they definitely knew this was happening from the time that they announced the final shows i don't believe that this is just something they found out on they've been honey dicking and stringing along this closing like nothing you've seen before this reminds me of when uh, flipping sports direct here in the uk this flipping chain of you know crappy sports shops that sells like lonsdale and all these sort of brands in there that flipping you know guys who beat their wives and you know chuck their kids out a window sort of where they kind of strung along their closing for time after time they'd have these massive signs that said closing down sale everything must go and it went on for fucking years right until they finally got into you know administration bankruptcy and now they're sort of building a slow death and the places are closing little by little but I feel like Bordwick Live did the same thing with Printworks. They knew for the longest time that the final date that they announced when it was a final date when I went to see Dixon play that time wasn't the final date. Then it got more dates on. Then I'm sure that they knew about this whole 2026 potential plan from ages ago, but they didn't want to announce it. So they kind of made everyone think that this is the final date to kind of squeeze you know, more ticket sales out of people, which I can't be mad at, but it's a little bit of a filthy game. But hey, here's what it is. It continues here. Simon Aldred, the co-owner and head of strategy at Bordwick Live, says he's heard of a lot of classic gentrification's narrative the last few weeks. Terrible landlords closing it down. Those kinds of negative vibes. But to be honest, British land invited us in and was much as it was, uh, pretty much as much as their idea as, as it was ours. So I want to give them some credit for that. We can't announce that reopening is definitely happening. We haven't signed any contracts, but the shape of the principles for a deal are there and we're going to be putting something in for planning permission in the next few weeks that is absolutely incredible to hear this includes so the article continues this includes um Primus cavernous main hall being retained in something like its original form aldred says he has architectural mock-ups which he could show me but for his insistence on sharing them with local community groups around candlewater before making them public now my main issue with Primax has always been the sound. I think visually the place is fantastic. The, you know, the clue is in the name Printworks. It's a former print factory 
and the way it kind of set up and you know the kind of structure in terms of it being a rectangular shape kind of going really long down it's kind of amazing i don't think visually i've seen any other space like that usually clubs are kind of in a you know in a somewhat of a square shape for the most part or a circle but you don't really see rectangular clubs really for the most part so the way that that kind of shaped and everything is crazy but when i went there last Maybe again, I was, I was spoiled because I think I just had come back from Berlin. So I kind of went to a city that kind of credits and kind of pins their hat on having amazing sound in, you know, just random pubs and bars have great sound systems. So maybe I got spoiled. But I remember stepping into Prima, I was thinking, why does it sound so low? And then, of course, it ramped up over time, but you had to get really close to the front to hear the sound. It didn't really pick up the way it didn't really kind of hit you the way you kind of thought it would hit you because you walk into this massive site again printworks is a huge site massive they've got flipping food courts there they've got loads of toilets they've got a thousand bars with many attentive and great bubbly bartenders legitimately like everyone that works there is, flipping, is amazing apart from the security who are fucking annoying and they probably touch you up too much everyone else is flipping a star there right great place amazing loads of different rooms everywhere that you can kind of lose yourself in so you kind of walk into it thinking you're going to be met with this wall of sound right it's going to be hitting you from all over the place it's going to be dizzying you know flipping it's going to take you on this wild ride and then what you end up hearing is like nah nah you know it's just the sound is just at the front you have to walk right to the front to hear the sound and by the time you do hear the sound right at the front it's too busy too hot and sweaty for me up there i want to have some room to dance i want to see what i'm kind of experiencing in real time i don't want to be surrounded by people that always have their phones up in the air right around the front so it gets a little bit off pointing but structurally i think it's absolutely amazing structurally i absolutely love it structurally i flipping love it um it continues here it says club promoters and property developers it's fair to say do not normally make much of the amical bedfellows primworks reopening in opening sorry in 2017 followed the de decade in which the uk lost half its nightclubs the london um over a third of its grassroots music spaces in many cases um because the buildings they occupied were sold off or redeveloped Bordeaux live business model has flipped um that conflict on its head by teaming up with developers rather than opposing them they've been able to operate a succession of cultural venues on a meanwhile basis in the gap between the site um between a site being acquired by developers and borders is moving in is a symbiotic exchange dancers get temporary access to otherwise impossible spaces while the cultural capital they bring with them helps to lay the groundwork for surrounding areas eventually development i've got two issues with this right two issues one issue is this one issue is that I feel like, um, I feel like there has to come a point where Baldrick Live puts their money where their mouth is and puts their skin in the game for real and just opens up their own club because they've probably done enough work now. They've got enough sort of, you know, insights and whatever it may be from all these different events and temporary spaces they've occupied that they could probably open up a space right now a club right now that would legitimately be one of the best clubs in the, in london or maybe even the world if they wanted to do so and i'd love to see that because i feel like this sort of like property guardianship sort of thing they've got going on where they essentially occupy these spaces 
you know, on a temporary basis, you know, before they're going to get bulldozed down. And it kind of gives the property developers an opportunity to make some money on the side easily to see how viable it is for whatever property they're looking to build and whatnot. And it also gives a chance for a promoter to probably put on some more, you know, add, you know, some, 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 some more, um, risk worthy kind of events and whatnot and big books and bigger acts i would like to see something a little bit more permanent that'll be pretty good to go with but on the other side of things I, I think to myself maybe this actually is the only way to operate unless you're like a legacy club that's been around for a while it's really difficult or you spring up in an area that was really overlooked and underdeveloped like a canning town and east london where kind of i'm from right in in terms of where kind of fold is that was an area that was kind of neglected for the most part by the scene and when fold popped up there they basically i think were able to kind of spring up at a time when no one kind of expected the club to be there and maybe take advantage of the fact that there weren't things in place in that sort of bar in newham that would prevent them from opening a space like that maybe now it's maybe a little bit more difficult who knows i'm not really involved in that sort of stuff i have no knowledge of it but i feel like i would love to see broderick live open up their own space that's what i want to see going forward i think that's going to be sick to see um it continues to say this approach has been widely successful at least financially Broadwick's endeavors with printworks have seen around 200 million of investment flooding in from developers across the uk along the injections of capital from grand theft automakers rockstar games with that backing Broadwick has amassed a portfolio of more than 25 venues across the country from the 10,000 capacity depot mayfield in manchester to the warehouse project to a new venture beams in east london in london's royal docks it has also as anyone um, who voted to printworks in the last few years can attest created spectacles of unparalleled scale and excellence with dance music fans treated consistently stacked lineups pummeling sounds and dizzying visuals in particular the venue's thin virtuous um, main room with a three-story video screen placed behind the stage and spotlights dancing vertical layers of exposed metal concrete feels like clubbing redesigned for the TikTok age. As Rosie Murphy shimmies her way through the I'm, I'm a piano tinged re-edit of Sing It Back on Monday's closing nights, countless dancers around me hold their phones up portrait style to capture a moment. Yeah, for sure. That's one thing they did really well. I feel like they created for sure one of the best social media friendly clubs that I've seen in London or in the UK for a very, very long time. Just the way it's designed, the fact that it's all basically portrait. It looks amazing when you're filming it like that, especially if you're standing towards the back. You can see the entire length of the flipping club from the back as you're doing it. People's phones in the air, the lighting and stuff. It really kind of captivates and adds to it. So as much as I love the whole no photos policy in places like berlin and whatnot and other places around europe sometimes especially if you're in a place like the uk we have limited opening hours you kind of need people you kind of need people right to kind of spread the word word of mouth style and film loads of videos and share them on social media it kind of helps as much as they may annoy you these pages that share these clips of these cute girls in these kind of brightly colored clothes and whatnot dancing around in places i'm sure some of these venues will tell you that those clips of those girls dancing in these spaces has helped and added to more usually thirsty dudes decided to go there because they help that girl or those people are going to be there i'm sure this is a thing i'm sure it is so you can only imagine what it may do to a club like printworks where they invest so much money into flipping the flipping lighting and all the malarkey, the screens, that it must really, really help and add to the whole entire experience. 
It says here, what's proved trickier, it seems, is ensuring that these spaces endure beyond a 15-second social media high or developer-imposed cycles of de demolition and reconstruction. The quote, we always knew it was going to be an experiment, says Aldred, but as soon as it started getting successful, we started talking to British land about what the future might be. This was clearly not a straightforward conversation. When plans were submitted to Suffolk Council in 2021, the provision of the cultural space akin to Printworks was notably absent. When the venue's attended closure was announced in 2022, Aldred and Baudry had a bite their tongue as angry tweets rolled in say print word potential circulated unable to reveal that they were already engaged in the highest sense to be on the scene talk for the return of the same form uh, so while they're getting all that criticism they're working in the deal behind the scenes <laughs> it's hilarious so if you can't blame print you can't blame boardwalk life for the closing of print works i think they always knew it's gonna be temporary i think clubbers or people that go to clubs like myself um who have you, you kind of describe yourself you probably forgot and i know i did that it was going to be a temporary space you just kind of didn't really keep in mind but it was always going to be temporary and i think maybe because they did so well people just thought they were going to hang around i think that's what should happen if you're going to hold these temporary spaces to be these de facto property guardians there should be a potential if you do well that you get to keep the space and maybe they get to build around it. especially if they're building the entire because if i'm not mistaken that whole site is huge so if they're building on the entire site they can leave the flipping print works to you know to flip in the actual space club space itself like leave that to the club because it's legitimately a i think a um a a cultural icon it's, it's become like a cultural icon a place to visit for sure monument in some respects so why not leave it there like increase tourism in some i don't know i don't get it um it says the british landowners responsibility to redevelop the whole site so what they can't do to be fair to them is just preserve the massive sacred cow for me and our narrow audience they have a job to do of course they have a job to do but also things change you want to make some money i don't know get in partnership with them do something come on man um so what that audience might look like when pretty much hopefully reopens in 2026 is another question true those who go clubbing to escape or defy the ceaseless pull of global capitalism might already find Primus a little bit too sanitized for their taste. Around it with a glossy utopia of luxury flats, boutique hotels and exclusive victories, the people who feel invited or excluded from the party are bound to shift even further. That's the thing though. I feel like nowadays we understand, and I know I do now, I kind of understand the appeal of these big mega spaces because sometimes it is nice to see a really polished well put together show from the elite djs and producers out there on the scene it's all well and good going to warehouse events and you know start you know kind of like um startup quote-unquote events in smaller spaces by smaller kind of promotion arms and collectors and whatnot and friends of friends that's so cool to see but from time to time i also think it's important to go and see the best of the best especially if you're involved in the music it's good to get and get inspired by seeing guys like solomon by seeing guys like bicep even the peggy goo i don't really rate as a flipping dj or whatnot but still in terms of a production and where the space is you're going to play they're going to be playing in these big spaces it's probably important to go and see them there also legitimately it's important you're a big up my guy jarvis yes yes big up big up big up so it's important to see these people in these spaces so i feel like now more than ever now more than ever people are more open to go to these big spaces because they know it's going to be something different than what they used to go into their kind of quote-unquote smaller clubs it, you know you can be a fan of fold you can be a fan of corsica studios and all these places and still be fans of fabric and the print works so i think they kind of go hand in hand right they're all part of the same sort of space same sort of ecosystem in my humble opinion i think that is the case and i think going forward especially you know towards the end print works were inviting in a lot of those what i could deem them to be alternative you know promotion arms like the howls and uh 
what's it called um the few other lgbtq plus kind of seeing people and bring them into a space it only kind of adds to the overall kind of flavor texture tapestry of these sort of places so it all kind of works hand in hand and then this quote here um this last paragraph that i move on it says there are probably people who are more radical than us around dance music says aldred not into the growing trend of sex positive clubbing as one example would i do sex positive parties in our venues given our land of relationships probably not because there are younger groups doing that really well already it kind of a niche gaps but we do take some of these people and amplify them and help them step up to a bigger spaces absolutely so i like that right maybe he's not going to do a flipping club verboten or whatnot in flipping print works it wouldn't make sense but i do like that he's open to the idea or they're open to the idea of platforming and kind of pushing the people that play in those places to also play in their spaces so that they have the opportunity to kind of play on a bigger scale maybe get their music and their sound to different people maybe just their perspective on clubbing or whatnot all that's out there i think that's really really important so big up broadwick live in general big up simeon is that how you say his name simeon aldred um over there sounding cool and obviously giving us some great insight there and i'm hoping they do reopen in 2026 make some tweaks hopefully up the volume a little bit because personally like i said i think it's a little bit too low over there but i'm happy to hear that one of our best clubs in london and something that i feel like you know added a lot to the nightlife scene is obviously going to be um given you know a chance to kind of do what they did best over there hopefully that happens hopefully 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 that happens um what people saying in the chat what's all this talking start of a tutorial of teaching us to do actually you know wild hair like that keep your mind straight not hurly cm thanks for start over huh? what are you saying Aryan privilege you're saying i should do a hair tutorial for people on my channel wowzers brother wowzers i'm not too sure people come here for hair tutorials but i'm a man of the people if people want to find out how i do my head and i'll be more than happy to flip in let them know definitely definitely let them know because not much goes into this brother it hardly gets washed i wake up in the morning i move it around a bit run it through some water when it needs to be done and then i continue going on continue going on anyway moving on quickly before we move on to the other stuff quick one touch upon this um regarding man united's victory against aston villa over sunday obviously this is kind of old news now but i just needed to kind of touch upon it because it needs to be touched upon um i was very happy with the performance overall i feel like for me personally i feel like we had the game under some level of a control i don't feel like aston villa really kind of threatened us i feel the stats of the game here courtesy of google kind of proved that in terms of our overall shots we had 14 aston villa had seven we had six on six, six shots on target they had one we had 58 percent possession overall they had 42 and look at the passes this is a big development and change in united under eric ten Hag. we had 511 passes to aston villa's 370 which definitely shows that we are becoming more of a passing team we're kind of put you know building up in the back even though david de gear isn't the greatest goalkeeper with the ball at his feet he still kind of contributes and helps with that and Eric Tanaka is still pushing the team to still be brave and take those decisions and our pass accuracy was 84 and we had and you know compared to flipping Aston Villa 78 which really goes to show that we I think had the game under some level of control and of course 
Um, a big part of that was Bruno Fernandes. Um, I feel like he, again, he's, he's a player that a lot of people, myself included, kind of have a hard relationship with him. It's kind of sometimes you think it's crap, sometimes you think it's awesome. But one thing you can't deny his importance to the overall team is really crazy. And his versatility doesn't get spoken about too often because if I'm not mistaken, against Aston Villa, he was mostly playing on the right-hand side. He was basically playing as a de facto winger in a way, right? Holding that kind of flank and the shape. And I feel like he did fairly well. There were fairly many instances where I feel like he made a lot of runs inside the channels where Victor Lindelof, if he was braver, maybe trusted his passing more, should have played him in. But I thought he was fantastic. Speaking of Lindelof also, maybe one of his best games in United shirt as of recently, and um, he stepped up in a major way. I think we all knew Luke Shaw, you know, has been a consummate kind of, um, replacement in uh, as a centre back, especially if Varane or flipping Martinez was injured, he's been amazing. Really, and I think Luke Shaw's been amazing. There's no way you can kind of deny that. Um, but I think Lindelof has been the big surprise. Me myself, I've always been a big hater of Lindelof. I feel like whenever Lindelof faced somebody, especially black strikers who were fast, athletic, and aggressive, he would shit his pants. It kind of reminded me of the first couple of seasons of Vidic and how he used to be with fast and aggressive strikers. But over time, I felt like maybe nowadays we're getting to see that maybe Lindelof was never the problem. And maybe he kind of has his faults. I still think when it comes to physical duels, he kind of can get ragdolled a bit too much. But I think overall, when it comes to defending, the guy is really good, Victor Lindelof, overall. He's definitely a worthy person to kind of slot in and fill in when needs be. I thought Malasia was absolutely amazing. He was like a terrier down that left back, Frank. I thought Jadon Sancho um, was a bit unlucky to get subbed personally. I feel like it becomes the easiest option to always sub Sancho off first because his form isn't the greatest. But I think he played fairly well um, this game going forward. And I thought Rashford, again, really strange game from Rashford. I didn't feel like Rashford contributed much of the game overall but I feel like his presence and the potential of him sort of like catching um you know Aston Villa sleeping especially with his runs especially with how high up their line was it kind of was always kind of in the back of you know their fullbacks um sorry their main defenders in concert Mings's head so even though Rashford didn't do much his presence alone I feel like kind of you know made them scared and worried because of that pace behind the back so bloody hell man interesting performance happy with it overall um, you know, another kind of win on this on the flipping list there. The points keep adding up. And now we're in a position where I feel like with a few more wins, maybe two more wins possibly, or maybe three if we're being really, really on it, because I think there's six games, three wins out of those six games, and we've got top four solidified, of course, but definitely try and push as far as we can to flipping third. Personally, in my opinion, that's what I would love to see there. Personally, personally, personally. Um, and of course, yeah, Casemiro, yeah, as Jarvis said, yeah, our key players are picking up form. Casemiro and Ericsson are back to their best. Yeah, for sure. Casemiro is absolutely imperious. Um, definitely one of his better performances in a while. Same goes for Ericsson. Um, Sabitzer are still kind of making me a little bit nervous, but his energy and his willingness to kind of run up and down the, you know, the pitch is really important. And of course, he's just far better on the ball and much more trustworthy than a Fred. So I get it. But I still would like a little bit more quality in that position overall. I feel like we just lose the ball too much with those players in the middle. It's just a bit too frantic for me. But, you know, what can we do? We can't do much with that. But the one thing that has been concerning, um, just to kind of close out the football section of the show, has been this talk of Jim Ratcliffe now becoming the highest bidder for Man United. He's not taking the biggest share of ownership, which is strange, but he is going to be the person who, so far, the press are relaying 
has had the highest bid, which is annoying because essentially if he goes into this um, takeover only wanting partial ownership and still giving Glazers a minority stake, that will mean essentially we'll never get rid of the Glazers and they will always be involved in this club. And because they have, you know, a, I forgot what it is. I think it's class A, class B. I forgot what the actual name of it is. It basically would mean they have a lot more kind of rights and kind of opinion and say so in how the club gets run. So any sort of aspirations Radcliffe would have to sort of oust them is not going to really be there. Of course, most people could kind of guess this is a tactic probably by the Glazers to just get more money because if they sell, for instance, if they're able to kind of sell to Jim Ratcliffe, you know, 60%, 70% of the company, but still maintain 30% of it, that means that they can later sell on that 30% for far more. So they can collect 5 billion, let's say, right, for 70% and then still sell on the other 30% for another amount of money. So essentially they can look at, you know, a return of 10 billion, which is pretty crazy, which they're obviously not going to get from um, anyone else who's bidding um, for the club at the moment. But personally speaking, selfishly, I want the club to be sold outright. Um, if it's a Qatari base, I don't care who it is. I want the club to be sold outright. I want it to be, go to an ownership who cares about winning trophies and who's going to be willing to invest into the club in terms of a new training ground and a new stadium. I feel like at the moment now, if Ratcliffe is having to pull loads of people to pull together the five billion, he doesn't have enough to buy the whole thing. Like, where would the money come from in terms of redevelopment of the club? It just doesn't make any sense in that regard. So all those things are a bit crazy. And again, you know, him being a lifelong United fan and then willingly get into bed and business with the Glazers, knowing how terrible they've been for our club over the last twenty years, despite Sir Ferguson winning trophies. Because I always say. Alex Ferguson was able to win trophies at United, right? Because he's brilliant, not because of the Glazers, right? So if that's the case, then I'm disappointed in Ratcliffe too because that whole spin and that whole propaganda that he's a lifelong United fan was all gas because no lifelong United fan would ever get in business with the Glazers ever because they've been, you know, for lack of a better term, cancerous. They've legitimately ruined this club that we all love. And I'm one of the fans who have been, you know, forever scarred by their ownership to the point where I haven't bought a jersey in years, right? I haven't bought an official piece of club merch in donkey years because I don't want to be supporting the club in any way shape or form and put money in the Glazers pockets I refuse so I'd rather buy my shirts from flipping China than give these guys any money but even though still those shirts from China the reps and the copies still end up getting money back to the club in some weird way but we won't even go down that route this is a courtesy first this is an article sorry courtesy of the Telegraph that says Sir Jim Ratcliffe makes highest bid for Man United as offer tops 5 billion it says here the battle for control of Man United has taken another twist with Sir Jim Ratcliffe Ratcliffe Enios fought to be valued a club higher than the main Qatari rivals, but that's only valuing it higher because he's taking less of an ownership you know, percentage, right? It's not really a higher offer. It's a bit mad. It continues. Third and final bid for United was submitted before Friday's 10 p.m. deadline as the six-month saga edges closer to conclusion. Sheikh Jasmine bin Hamad Al Talin, um, the chairman of, of Qatar Islamic Bank and son of former Qatar Prime Minister, has been a favourite to land the club, but it emerged on Saturday that Ineos were the only bidder to have valued the club above five billion. Um, their proposal equates to more than offer re represented by Qatar, but again, this is misleading because it's valued above because they're only taking a smaller amount. Um, the Sheikh Jasmine is the only bidder offering to buy the club 100% of the club and debt-free takeover. Enios want to purchase the Glazers 69% shareholding, but are also understood to have made a proposal that would see them take a controlling stake, but allow Joe and Avram Glazers 
right, two of the most heinous owners in football flipping history, um, the co-chairman to remain as minority stakeholder, which I hate. It is thought that the preferred bidder will be granted a period of exclusivity over the next few days to 10 days. Um, sources close to Sheikh Jasmine Camp are adamant that they offer the additional capital investment to fund the redevelopment of Old Trafford and the Cubs training guns up to the bid of the Glazers and I've been used by the suggestion of the country. The funny thing about it, I've read so far, there's another kind of journalist who I follow on Insta or Twitter, sorry, who mentioned that something interesting like the Glazers, when they decide to sell Qatar, will buy the whole club outright. So it's looking like, for the most part, Glazers never went to sell. And I think we kind of all knew, actual United fans who have been paying attention, I think it kind of tell. The Glazers never wanted to sell the club, I don't think so. I think what they wanted was always to get a bit of reinvestment into the club because they didn't want to put any of their own money in there. Um, but they would much rather someone come in and take a minority stake in the club, give them loads of money, maybe, you know, maybe kind of overspend, overinvest because they want to have ownership of the club and whatever it may be and whatever prestige that comes along with it or maybe the potential of owning it outright. But they still maintain the majority ownership of it, which allowed them to keep on making money and not really be involved in that regard. So I think that's what they wanted. But then over time, you know, things change but i think what they wanted was for the guitar based consortium wherever it may be to come in and really kind of overvalue the club and give them some crazy offer like seven six eight billion maybe even ten billion and then they would have taken it but now that people are haggling and the guitar you know um, base firm are saying hey we're not going to overpay for this they're not on it do you know what I mean so they're kind of making their mind up and saying you know what? we'd rather kind of sit here take all the protests because they've been able to kind of weather the protests and everything for a long time now so they're definitely not scared about the bad press but it kind of feels like this is all sort of a scheme right to kind of garner attention to kind of get interesting parties attention overall and to kind of see what the temperature was like out there and now they've seen it so maybe there is a possibility after all of this stuff United doesn't get sold. That's a strong possibility. I think United fans need to really sort of like prepare themselves. And me myself, I'm I'm speaking myself also. You need to prepare yourself mentally, physically, in any way, shape, or possible to make sure that you're ready because potentially the club won't get sold. Potentially the Glazers are just gonna run this whole ruse to garner attention see what temperatures like and then decide not to sell right now and wait for new bidders to come along down the line that could honestly happen because this is looking crazy because it's taking a long time to sell the club any plans for the summer transfer window are going to have to be rushed you know any plans to you know sell players sign players on any changes to the you know academy train all this stuff are going to be affected by how long this you know protracted flipping sale is taking so it leads me to believe that maybe it's not what it all kind of seems out there. It's not all it kind of seems out there. But anyway, we'll hope. We'll see. Fingers crossed. I'm wishing for the best. I am honestly wishing for the best. What people are saying in the chat here quickly before I continue on. Um, Natasha Ski is saying rugby is so dangerous if you play you're basically asking to break a rib and or tear your ACL yep for sure um, I always wanted to play rugby actually but I was too much of a P-U-S-S-Y Ari <laughs> um, privileges I had a uh, fleet the UK has mistakenly always a talker baby Beckham don't know man okay I don't know what that is Ari and privilege oh, I think it's all about Beckham there um, Louis Shire says no but American billionaire Jovis Cocker said 
uh, the Glazers are Ratcliffe is about to ruin the club even more and there's nothing we can do about it. Yeah, that's always been part of the reason why I think I've been able to kind of deal with politics in a somewhat mature way because I feel like all these years, because I've grown up entirely supporting United under the Glazer ownership. So I've known nothing else but these heinous, heinous, horrible, kind of vermin-like owners who have bled my club dry and who have basically, you know, halted our progress and put in position that we're in now. And I felt like, for me, you know, the green and gold, the protests, the scarves, the chanting, the, you know, the, the protests outside, the mini walkouts, the infighting, all that stuff I thought would have eventually pressured them to sell. But they weathered every single storm and it just kept on hanging on to the fucking club. Look how long it took for us to get rid of fucking Ed Woodward, right? One of the most inept, incompetent flipping CEOs in football history. And he hung on to that job for dear life. And some people would even say, some people would go as far as saying he's probably still receiving a salary from the Glazers in some way, shape or form in the advisory role to this day now, right? But it took a long time for us to get rid of him, even the store director of football which we still haven't technically installed, you know, whatever. Who knows? But I think my inability to affect change in the club, despite me knowing the owners are terrible and every other fan out there knowing he's terrible, made me realise how useless it is to get kind of hot and bothered about stuff going on in politics. Unless you're involving yourself in local politics. I feel like, may you know, for the most part, you shouldn't concern yourself with the stuff happening in the White House, in the House of Parliament, because you have little to no effect to what's going on in there day to day. Zero, in my opinion. And I feel like my hopelessness in terms of, you know, helping the club to maybe get sold to some better owners really made me kind of realise that. Like, so in some ways, I should maybe thank the Glazers for making me realize just how insignificant I am in the grand scheme of things. So, you know, I try not to let it affect my mental health, man. So just try and kind of, you know, get myself somewhat situated. That's what you can do. That's all you can hope to do. Anyway, moving on from that, quick one to talk about this. So it looks like, it looks like my guy, Frank Ocean, is going around and flipping, slapping small YouTubers with cease and desist and basically copyright strikes because they're uploading clips on the Coachella performance. <laughs> Honestly, this guy might be one of the worst people to ever exist out there in culture especially in the music shape of things because he genuinely genuinely hates his fans like for real for real hates his fans so most of you know frank ocean had a horrible um performance over there at coachella he kind of honeyed it the fans it was a big sort of you know welcome back to the scene welcome back to the live circuit type of thing for frank ocean because he'd been mia for a very long time for various reasons that we won't get into but essentially this big coachella performance everybody was really looking forward to oh my god frank ocean is back he's back he's back he's back he finally goes and performs. He turns up, number one, looking like he just rolled out of bed. Um, the performance itself, overall production-wise, was a little bit lackluster. There was last-minute changes. It felt like he went to cancel last minute. And when he finally gets on stage, it's kind of a mix between a DJ set um, uh, and these kind of live renditions of tracks that people wanted to hear just sung the quote-unquote conventional way that he wanted to do in a really different way. And then when it came to doing the second week, he then decided, nah, I'm not doing a second week and dropped out that last minute. And on top of that, he decided against the kind of recommendation of everybody else that he wasn't going to live stream his set. So the one guy who's incredibly recluse, 
doesn't like to engage with his fan base at all and would be coming back to perform live again after many years out refused to live stream his set despite everybody else that performed at Coachella streaming their live set they're set live on there on the channel maybe not you know you didn't couldn't watch it maybe all in four on the channel after the fact but you could watch it in the moment and everyone did it from the bad bunnies to the linkin parks everybody allowed Coachella to stream their set live apart from frank ocean so what did the fans do the fans that love frank ocean the fans are flipping diehard frank ocean flipping stands decided to go to flipping coachella and live stream his performance some fans were standing there watching him perform for an hour and 20 minutes or however long it was holding their phone in the air with their charge pack in their pocket trying their best to stream a flipping performance of somebody at a festival and again if you've been to a festival you know how shoddy the reception is in festivals doesn't matter where you are and some of them were able to kill him in stream these performances on instagram live on other platforms there may be some of them recorded the whole things on their phone taking up memory holding their hand in the air just so they can allow other fans who weren't there to experience it and to kind of share in the joy of seeing frank ocean back on stage what does frank ocean do instead of maybe leaving that kind of as it is it's a one-off performance you're never going to revisit it again maybe there's an a24 movie coming out who knows but most of the footage is kind of janky there's some good ones here and there but essentially it's people recording him performing on stage with their flipping phone feeding through the phone speaker the sound's going to be shit the videos aren't going to be that great whatever right just leave as it is no he decides, as you can see via this um, screenshot taken from a YouTube, a YouTuber who has a YouTuber that goes by Carl, who uploaded quite a few performances or clips of Frank Ocean performing, and a lot of them got a lot of views, and they just generally, you know, were very well received. People got to see what he kind of sounded like on stage, what the visuals were like, and kind of got an impression of what the show was like overall. Frank has gone down and basically decided to slap this channel with copy strikes to the point where the channel's now been disabled. This is a this is a screenshot taken from an email that was sent to this YouTuber called Carl. And it says, due to multiple copyright strikes associated with the videos below, your YouTube account has now been disabled. Frank is getting YouTube French Frank is getting his own fans YouTube channel struck down. <laughs> and disabled because they dare to upload clips of him performing at Coachella legitimately incredible how much flipping disdain he has for his fans absolutely incredible I get artistically maybe not wanting your show to be live streamed by Coachella because you want to be have it filmed a certain way I mentioned A24 before because some fans were speculating that Frank um, I think maybe previously had been announced that he signed a deal with A24 and they were going to put together some sort of live performance thing and that most likely he was filming it himself with his own cameras because there were some cameras on stage there and maybe those cameras were what they were going to use for the footage that was going to be sold as a DVD which is really heinous everyone performed live but Frank was just going to record his not have it live streamed and then sell it to his fans <laughs> it's incredible and most likely the physical version of it won't won't shit for like 17 weeks right crazy guy but regardless you just think he would kind of as a give back to his fans be like you know what i appreciate you guys and i fucked up i wasn't in the mood so here's this do, do what you want with the clips kind of like have a kind of a hands-off approach on it but now nah, he's getting channels taken down it's not even like he's trying to get all the kind of um what you call it, all the adsense from it no he's getting the videos removed from youtube He's getting channels disabled. Whole crazy thing. But it made me think about a couple of stories I've seen online. And one specifically from Erica Badu, 
where I think she said something like, oh, I think I saw Frank Ocean in the car park after Coachella skateboarding, right? And this, I think, was after his first performance. The same performance that his team came out and said, oh, Frank Ocean broke his ankle. That's why he couldn't perform well, <laughs> right? Um, and Erica Badu said he was skateboarding and he had, he, knew, he was like, she, I think she said something in, his, in, the, in the caption, skateboarding with not a care in the world. So that's what he was doing, right? Skateboarding with not a care in the flipping world, right? And then, of course, I'm hearing accounts from other people who were there who were saying that behind the scenes in the VIP area, Frank was just chill, hanging out, having a good time, not bothered, and just chilling. Like, after, after, legitimately after that first performance where he just did shit, he was at the back, and people were saying that he legitimately, you couldn't tell that he had a shit performance because he just didn't care. And I've generally thought that anyway. And I don't think it comes from malice. I just think he's just that kind of personality. And I think maybe that's what his fans kind of like. This sort of like disdain and detachment from the real world is what the fans like because he is kind of rare in that sort of space. He never explains himself. Because a lot of these kind of controversial artists that are like this, who kind of have a weird relationship with their fans, they sometimes can be a bit competitive with their fans online. They can maybe ridicule them, say things in press conferences or in interviews, and just generally kind of be a bit of a you know shit stirrer. But this guy doesn't do that. Frank hardly speaks, if ever. The only time we've heard him speak is maybe on stage or on little skits and interludes on these tracks and whatnot, or via some warped text on a magazine. But he never really speaks. So he does what he does. He moves how he moves, and he doesn't say a word. Like, and that's boss because all these fans crying and complaining myself included if he decides to do a flipping one-off set somewhere amazing we're all gonna be there we're all gonna buy tickets i know i will so we're all kind of full of shit really <laughs> but I quickly want to play this clip here this features frank ocean solo at coachella that features some footage of it and again for me it was a reminder that there was potential in this show of this performance i feel like if he actually cared he could have delivered a good show because visually i think this is pretty impressive the way he did it where he had all these hardware pieces installed around the stage and i think there was meant to be a flipping ice rink there and whatnot but just from what we can see here on the screen we've got this amazing kind of you know really wide um screen here three screens put together to create this really massive long rectangular shape of a screen and then essentially all these cameramen around taking these close-up video footage of these guys on the machines and whatnot or these pieces of hardware you know these really analog sort of like tactile pieces of music equipment and they're all zooming into it and those are popping up on the screen and video clips of flipping frank singing i feel that kind of level of performance it kind of helps to make it you know, even though Frank, you know, even though flipping Coachella is a really commercial event, it kind of helps to make it feel warm, kind of helps to make it feel small, tight, intimate. It's really interesting. But anyway, this is a clip um, Frank Coachella performing solo at Coachella. Hopefully, I don't get taken off YouTube because of this. Come on, Frank, do me a solid. BLM, come on. Ah, oh, it keeps stopping. God Almighty! Let's start again one more time. It keeps flipping, stopping for some reason. 
maybe because my computer has been a bit weird but let's just refresh this screen one more time because i want this to play all the way through and hear some of this frank ocean goodness performing solo at coachella give me a moment as it refreshes here in the background and we're going to get this going up again let's go come on work for me 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 okay it's loading now it should be working in two seconds here we go here we go there we go come on brother there you go I'm so gonna turn I ask you for me a circle, watch my jacket. I lose my jacket. Head solo, one time. We too loud and public, don't believe sitting down and function. I'll be outside, the time is perfect. I can tell you, they'll tell you how much I'm glad with you. We don't gotta be solo. I stay away from highways, smiles like the red lights. Right now, I'm free, yo, red bone, so mellow, but I'll be cutting you. Think we were better off. but you can't deny it. if that was actually done well the show would have been fucking amazing but he didn't care he just turned up went through the motions barely sung and it went shit and he had that dj playing as well that kind of ruined it whatever it may be but if frank actually wanted to put on a fucking performance he could have smashed it to pieces legit if he imagine him doing five dates or five shows of this right in a row these intimate type of shows with this screen there with these amazing synths on the flipping stage and whatnot it'd be amazing right just imagine how amazing it'd be but he chooses not to <laughs> which is really funny like he could do amazing he could feed his fans but he's like nah fuck the fans <laughs> fuck them i do what i want i do what i want when i want you kind of have to respect it you really do have to respect it in this era that we live in at the moment where everyone's kind of falling over themselves myself included to sort of appease and satisfy their audience there's these elite level flipping artists and creative out there who really influence culture in a really meaningful way who are basically the favorites of some of your favorites who really move to the beat of their own drum people say that a lot it's a kind of overused term but frank for sure moves to the beat of his own drum and if he's not feeling it he's not feeling it doesn't care if he's getting paid and that's the thing sometimes about him as well that i kind of have to appreciate he he got paid a lot of money allegedly they're they're, they're saying it's anywhere between like one million and four million obviously if you're coachella and you're smart enough the people that probably put that show together there's something involves your contract especially with it being two weekends where if you don't show up to the second weekend you don't get a second half of your payment so i'm sure whatever you know millions you're meant to get you'll probably get half because you only performed for one weekend fair but it clearly shows frank ocean can't be bought he cannot be bought doesn't matter how much money you offer him if he's not in the mood he's not going to do it and Coachella was probably the biggest, you know, re example of it. Like the most commercial example of it. Like they pay money, they pay well, I'd assume. Um, it's in LA. 
you'd imagine all his fans you'd imagine if there's one place you'd imagine frank ocean's fans would be is la and he still was like nah i'm cool i'm good love enjoy on some frank ocean tip i have to rate it it's impossible not to rate that <laughs> anyway moving on from that one quick one to mention this this is courtesy of variety which i'm really happy about i have to be honest this says james corden's farewell includes a duet with tom cruise and parting messages to the u.s remember what america signifies you know go fuck yourself but essentially the headline here from deadline is the main one james corden leaving the late late show in 2023 so this fat fuck this annoying flipping guy who essentially i think essentially dumbed down what it means to be a late night tv host for everybody out there is now leaving i feel like one of the worst shows to ever exist out there in 2023 and for the most part it feels like this is a consequence in some respect relating a little bit to this infamous keith mcnally expose right keith mcnally the famous restaurateur who exposed james corden right i think he was the first person prominent person in in kind of you know in the entertainment industry adjacent to basically mention aloud that james corden's a bit of a piece of shit i think if you're on reddit and whatnot you would have seen random posts i forgot what the subreddit is but there's a particular subreddit where they speak about meeting famous people and they share kind of the experiences and i think there's a thread about who's the worst person and a consistent offender in one of those threads to the point where i used to think of some of it must be satire was james corden there'll be random people saying oh i saw him at this restaurant i saw him at this bar i was on set with him and they'll be talking about how awful of a person he was which made which surprised me because i don't know why in my head i've got this weird thing in my head where because a person looks the way they look like james corden looks how he looks right he's somebody he's kind of easy to bully based on his laugh his demeanor his face the way his body is shaped you just think someone like this can't be rude because essentially if you're rude and you're mean to people they have so much nasty things they can say about you straight away but i think over time i've started to learn that being a bully and being mean and being horrible to people isn't just kind of you know a, a thing sort of reserved for people who look a certain way anybody can be mean and be a bully and clearly um james corden was one and this infamous expose post from keith mcnally on instagram was the best and if you know anything about keith mcnally you know that he does these kind of you know posts where he kind of feature celebrities that maybe have come to his restaurants in the past um people that he's kind of known and this post was funny because it, he took a very small image of you know flipping james corden from google instead of downloading the high quality version in a boomer way he downloaded the smallest pixel version he could blew it up so it's all pixelated and then he added this caption this is in october 17 2022 so i legitimately think this was the beginning of the end of James Corden's flipping um, career on flipping TV and how he's perceived overall in media. Because this Keith Mellie post, I think, kind of helped to kind of have people, you know, be aware of how much of a piece of shit he's been in the scenes. So the quote here, or the caption from Keith Mellie's Instagram back then about James Corden said the following James Corden is a hugely gifted comedian, but a tiny cretin of a man and the most abusive customer to my Baltazar servers since the restaurant opened 25 years ago i don't often 86 a customer today are 86 cordon it did not make me laugh um he did not but here are two examples of the funny man's treatment of my staff managers report number one in june james Corden was here at table 61 although this is diabolical 
it happens very occasionally in all restaurants after eating his main course Corden showed the hair to Baltazar manager G who was very apologetic Corden was extremely nasty to G and said get us another round of drinks this second also take care of all our drinks so far this way I write any reviews on Yelp or anything like that so James Corden is essentially a Karen imagine this imagine that right and usually people would say you can judge a lot about a person um, based on how they treat you know service workers whether they be people that work in stores a bartender or somebody working in a restaurant as a waiter whatever it may be you can judge a lot about a person's character and how they are based on how they treat service industry people which is probably a very interesting good place to come to if you're gonna go on a date with somebody it's kind of it's kind of counterproductive but it probably would be the best option if you're going to go on a first date with somebody to go out somewhere very public very public and very busy to see how they interact with other people invading their space quote unquote um you know delays in service all this malarkey like how do they kind of react to it especially in your presence like that's probably a better way to kind of judge a person and see if there's any red flags that you should be kind of aware of um, another one here manager's report number two james corden was at baltazar with his wife in october the night this to me is the worst one um he asked for a tech even though the first one's still kind of bad right he basically you know blackmailed him or kind of you know in, in a way to give him drinks so he wouldn't write a nasty review on yelp the fact that james corden is a review on yelp is hilarious also but anyway continues james corden was at baltazar with his wife on october 9th for brunch he asked for a table outside brunch made to d um ali walters took the party to table 301 mr corden's wife ordered egg yolk omelet with a gruyere cheese and salad a few minutes after they received the food corden called their server mk and told their and told her there was a little bit of egg white mixed with the egg yolk did you hear that his complaint was about his wife right so he did the bitch made thing and was crying for his wife he was complaining that there was a little bit of egg white mixed with the egg yolk mk informed the floor manager g the kitchen remade the dish but that unfortunately sent with but but they unfortunately sent it with some home fries instead of salad so first of all he's complaining about the egg yolk the egg yolks being in the in the bit of the egg white then he gets a dish remade with some home fries sent instead of a salad but there's a whatever right mistakes happen especially if you're sending back food all the time it is what it is <laughs> that's when james corden began yelling like crazy to the server you can't do your job you can't do your job maybe i should go in the kitchen and cook an omelet myself mk was very apologetic and brought g over to the table he returned the dish and after that everything was fine he gave them promo champagne glasses to smooth things out g said that corden was pleasant with him but nasty to the server which is horrible that's even worse right being nice to the manager because they're in charge and then treating the server like shit which puts the manager in a shit position hate that also um Corden was pleasant with him but nice to the server mk was very shaken but professional that she is continuing to finish her shift so i i think personally this sort of kind of added to the negative sentiment around james Corden, and i don't think he's ever recovered from this he really hasn't recovered from this i don't think reputational wise now in terms of ratings this is a really strange thing to come from i wonder i wonder again this is a weird one what how much damage do you think long-form podcasting has done to shows like this because i don't watch tv anyway 
So any clips I would have seen of the Late Late Show or Carpool Karaoke would have come from YouTube, would have come from social media or whatever it may be. But I haven't sat down and watched one of these shows in donkey years. I maybe watched it in the past, but I haven't before. So I wonder who is watching this stuff on like a weekly, weekend basis. Like who is legitimately sitting down tuning into this stuff? Especially if you're kind of going to have these people on there, because I think there's definitely some overlap between the guests that go on the Late Late Show to promote, um, you know, a, a show they're on, a book they're releasing, documentary, whatever it may be, most of those people will also go on podcasts that you listen to. Your favourite podcasts are, or will definitely have a guest that goes on the Late Late Show on there. So what would you rather? Would you rather listen to them, sit down, and have a really expansive, far-reaching, long-form interview with like a Joe Rogan for three hours plus? Or would you rather have them sit down with James Corden, this fat shit, squealing like an idiot, trying to be funny and not being funny for what, 20, 30 minutes, half an hour, an hour, in this really kind of chopped up weird way where they don't really get to say their piece and saw canned answers. So I think, weirdly enough, podcasts have definitely sort of invaded into the space of live TV, especially these sort of like late night shows because there's just not enough time in your day to listen and watch everything i wish i could i wish i could legitimately watch and listen to everything but i honestly don't think that's possible so maybe this is why these shows aren't working out so as much as i think it's annoying i reckon this probably has a lot more to do with outside forces like you know basically not a lot of people watching it as opposed to him being a piece of shit i think so anyway read the article Curse of Deadline. It says James Corden is prepared to say goodbye to the Late Late Show. The Brit has extended his contract for the CBS Late Late Show for one year and will depart ahead of summer 2023. Corden will have hosted the Late Late Show for eight and a half years by the time he departs. Um, a major achievement. It's been a really hard decision, he says here. Um, decision... Um, to leave because I'm immensely proud of the show according to a deadline I'm thrilled to be extended for a year it's always thought it'd do it for five years and then leave and then I stayed on I've really been thinking about it for a long time thinking whether there might be one more adventure um, it says here Corden signed a contract to host a late show which was hosted for nine years by Craig Ferguson in 2014 and premiered on March 23rd 2015 the Gavin and Stacey co-creator was somewhat of a surprise choice, but he reinvigorated 12.30 a.m. time slot on CBS and breathed a new life into late night show with viral segments of carpool karaoke, drop the mic, spill your guts and crosswalk musical. In fact, Corden's carpool karaoke with Adele has been watched more than 250 million times on YouTube, while his journey with One Direction has racked up 189 million views. The Late Late Show um, YouTube page itself has already nearly 10 billion views and has more than 27 million subscribers, the second highest in late night history. CBS chiefs, including President and CEO George Cheeks and CBS President Kelly Kill, SVP Programming, blah 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 we're keen to keep Corden and offer a variety of deals including a free extension a two-year extension and a rolling one-year extension before he made the decision so they're saying that basically they went to keep him on board but it was ultimately Corden's decision I don't buy it personally I don't buy it I think if the ratings are good and the money's great why would you leave a job like this do you know what I mean it's basically making you rich beyond your wildest dreams you get to clock in clock out in a way it doesn't really make sense to be fair so I'm not really buying this too much um but my bosses here at CBS have been incredibly supportive and extraordinarily patient with me while I made this decision. Um, Corden added, seven years ago, Corden 
um, came to CBS and took the television by storm with these huge um, creative and comedic swings that resonated in a big way with the viewers on air and online from Crosswalk to the musical to the legendary carpool karaoke and every unique comedy segment he introduced. He also has been a consummate network showman, entertaining audiences from the nightly perch of television as well as the Tony and Graham stage. So that's basically the end of it. Corden has left the Late Late Show. I'm actually pleased and happy about that. I'm not going to lie. Um, long time coming. He's, you know, definitely... I think a reflection of people's attention in general and just the fact that people I think when they find out you're a piece of shit and you have this bubbly happy-go-lucky personality on screen it's kind of hard for them to kind of connect with that anymore in the long term I think so I think so but I could be completely wrong and it all just could be him decision to kind of move and bet on himself as many other famous and illustrious guests have done over the years betting on themselves isn't it betting on themselves but anyway moving on from that one moving on moving on moving on from that one we need to talk about this because i feel like this is really 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 interesting and i feel like super 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 surprising so this is courtesy of the rolling stone and i'm wondering if the rolling stone is basically trying to occupy complex position of these nonsense listicle type articles that are basically done to kind of you know essentially create debate create outrage and get people talking and why do i say this because of this recent article courtesy of rolling stone that says that's titled sorry the 20 most influential creators right now from innovative vloggers to controversial streamers to bona fide tiktok stars here are the people making a splash of the social media right now it says the 20 most influential it doesn't say the top 20 but the way that they've done the list it gives you the feeling that they're kind of rating them from one to 20, right? It kind of gives you that kind of feeling, which I know it's not because I'm sure it's done in kind of alphabetical flipping order and whatnot, right? But it's pretty wild to see this name featured on there, which I just didn't understand, right? And it's this lady here called Amelia Dimondem. How do you say her name? Dimoldenberg, Dimoldenberg, who some of you may know from the chicken shop um channel show thing that she does and people just refer to her myself included as chicken shop girl essentially the premise of the show is pretty self-explanatory she goes to a chicken shop and sits down with you know um very well-known uk artists and for a sit-down interview in the style of hot ones where they share you know a meal of each other and get to know each other in a kind of satirical kind of you know way and uh, with some jokes inserted here and there what the whatnot and usually people do it during their promo run now for me personally having grown up in you know some sketchier parts of london and whatnot chicken shops are usually a bit of a meeting spot for a lot of people and ends to kind of hang out chill out you know catch some lols maybe run into a couple of lighties here and there you know wrangle a deal with a boss man but in general you know you've kind of been to if you've been to one kind of ends chicken shop you've probably been to them all for the most part from my experience growing up for the most part i legitimately have not been to any chicken shop where i've kind of bumped into an immediate looking girl on a regular the last time I've been to a chicken shop where I've seen somebody like Amelia in there was a chicken shop maybe in like Hoxton or Shoreditch back when I used to go around those areas. So for me, I never understood the premise of the show because it just didn't, it wasn't congruent. If you're going to get her to do a show where she kind of is the awkward, quirky white girl interviewing the guys from ENDS, why not just have her 
do it being herself which is already interesting that kind of contrast of having this girl from a particular you know basically part of the world or a particular socioeconomic level interviewing these other people uh, artist wise who come from completely different worlds i think that kind of works and just have them in just different places it doesn't need to be a chicken shop i just didn't get the idea of the chicken shop like trying to sell it as like she enjoys going to chicken shops it's like i don't know it just doesn't make any sense you probably didn't grow up around them you probably don't live around them anyway so why was this attachment to chicken shop it's just really bizarre and then on top of that with it becoming one of the kind of the biggest and maybe the number one platforms to go on it also kind of left a bit of a bad taste in the mouth to see somebody quite clearly caucasian essentially dominating and crushing <laughs> basically the scene in terms of being the number one sort of like media platform to kind of interview these um big stars here in the uk maybe in far-flung places across the world in europe and whatnot it just left a bit of a bad taste in my because you think to yourself would this show have been successful if there was a black boy or girl on the show probably not right and that's the kind of sad reality of the situation but what i'm getting at here is that I don't understand why they have her on the list because I feel like you're doing this girl a disservice. I feel like as much as I don't enjoy the show and I feel like she's got, you know, the personality of a cardboard box, I still think some of the sticks she gets online is a bit excessive. But I feel like these things don't do her any favours. Like, why should she be on the list of the most influential people when I don't feel like the show is influential? She may be crushing it. Like I said, the show's crushing it. The views are amazing, right? The views are amazing. She's crushing it. People obviously like the show because they watch it. Um, people obviously see the show as useful part of their media promotion because they advise their artists and their whatever people, their clients they represent to go on it. But no one can sit here, even the biggest fans of Chicken Shop, and say that this show is influential. It's not. I don't care what you say. You're lying. It's not influential. It's good, right? She's doing a good job. But influential is crazy to put it there as influential. And I feel like this creates unnecessary debate and i feel like takes away from all the good work she's doing people immediately will say she shouldn't be there anyway taking over the thing the white girl thing the black girl thing. it just turns into this big debate doesn't need to be it's okay to have a somewhat constructive debate around kind of the show's success the relevance of it you know the platforming of her whatever it may be but putting her in these sort of conversations i feel like just brings about unnecessary stick that she probably doesn't need and i feel like having on a list of the 20 most influential creators on social media is legitimately insane because for the most part people are watching the show to hear the, the, the artist speak maybe to hear how awkward the interaction is going to be but i don't necessarily think she's the biggest pull of the show overall personally Maybe I'm mistaken because I'm not really a fan of the show. Who knows? But I think it's a little bit crazy. Anyway, the kind of the, the quick blurb on it that features her name, it says here, maybe no one has dated as many celebrities as Demoldenberg. For nine years, um, the London-based journalist, 29. God almighty, man. She looks a lot older than 29 or a lot younger. I don't know. But we continue. Um, has been taking notables on dates, interviews in the city's fried chicken restaurants in which she awkwardly flirts and deploys her signature deadpan wit. Um, airing them on YouTube channel Chicken Shop Date that started as a bit of a conversation. Uh, what started as a bit of a no, what started as a bit has become a sensation, attracting stars like Ed Sheeran, Daniel Kaluuya, and Shania Twain. Let's ho just hope that she doesn't get her long-anticipated date with Drake because she pledged it will be her last. So whatever. But I just I don't know. I just think this is crazy. 
and putting her as the 20 most influential it doesn't make any sense to me personally but again what do i know not going to speak on it too much because when i start ranting and raving about the caucasians you know people don't people are not happy so we're gonna we're gonna move off of that one and we're gonna roll in and continue right we're gonna just roll in and continue now the main thing i actually wanted to touch upon and something that i feel like is really interesting to speak about is of course is of course what happened at the flipping met gala i'm not sure if some of you care or if some of you have been paying attention to it but damn almighty that met gala 2023 met gala where the theme was essentially Karl lagerfeld was a little bit underwhelming overall now i'm not too sure if this is a thing about you know culture overall in terms of where we are in terms of it being a recession we're living in mini you know whatever it may be recession that we're in or just general apathy over there in the world but i feel like the the kind of attention on it wasn't as much as it was in prior years people don't really give a fuck i don't know it just felt a little bit off overall but i also think this was legitimately one of the best years in terms of seeing some really good um, attempts at kind of nailing the theme from the men because for whatever reason whenever men go to the met gala they usually just kind of phone it in it's usually kind of low-hanging fruit it's usually kind of just doing the bare minimum in the tuxedo regardless of the theme and not really going for it but i feel like a lot of the dudes especially the guys who claim to be heterosexual were ridiculously good they put some really good outfits together and absolutely smashed it but overall it felt like a bit of a lame duck and it doesn't really kick off the way it probably should have kicked off personally for me not too sure why that's the case but it's just one of those things that kind of happened anyway going on to it courtesy of vogue we have here <clears throat> some celebrity looks i'm going to quickly go through and speak about some of my favorites and some of the worst that i've seen there so we're going to just quickly scroll through them and see what some of you guys think also you can let me know in the chat what your thoughts are so number one obviously pick it i'm saying for sure for sure i think rocky asap rocky definitely had one of the best looks for men i feel like he absolutely smashed the theme the look that he had on was a look that carl lagerfeld specifically wore when he was walking down the runway at the end of a chanel show i forgot what year it was but essentially he had the same sort of garb on he had his signature blazer white shirt skinny black tie with a tartan skirt over some trousers and his signature um big boots right desert boots um chelsea boots whatever you want to call them and he looks amazing and i feel like rocky really kind of snapped and made that look made that look work really well for him he even kind of changed his hair and had his braids kind of falling flat a little bit i would have maybe liked him if he would have went all the way with it and kind of maybe got a wig got him got a wig installed at you know um what's his name by that guy who does Nicki Minaj's hair I think is a uh, Tate something I think Angry Tate whatever his name is that would have been pretty cool got a little headpiece done or just bleached his hair on some Playboy Carti tip and just hoped for the best that would have been sick um so I feel like he actually smashed it Rihanna's look I feel like was a little bit a bit of a letdown especially considering that she arrived like three hours late she was the one of the last people to kind of arrive there overall and 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 if i'm not mistaken if i'm not mistaken she also kind of hid 
<laughs> the, the outfit as well. She was kind of leaving the flipping hotel. She didn't want anyone to see it before she hit the, the red carpet. So I think overall, that look was a bit of a letdown from Rihanna. But she has more wins and losses. So, you know, it is what it is. I thought Cardi B's actual look that she wore at the Met Gala was way better than what we saw her coming out of the hotel with. She had this horrendous, like, prom pink dress on that I thought was pretty awful. But I did like the actual final outfit that she wore on the red carpet if not a bit you know forgettable um i thought the the the, the young lady jenna ortega looked absolutely incredible especially when you consider this was tom brown if i'm not mistaken uh, yeah is in tom brown so she wore this amazing look in tom brown that kind of looked a little bit like chanel um you know carl for chanel especially with all the kind of embellishments and tweeds and some of the pearls and whatnot but i feel like she absolutely smashed this look she looked incredible in tom brown um so big up general Ortega. i thought um what's his name pascal uh, sorry pedro pascal um some of you may know him from mandalorian of course the last of us i felt he looked fairly decent also if anything this kind of look reminds me a little bit of some gay guys i used to work with at dr martin's and you know places like selfridges and h&m if you know you know there's a particular kind of personality of a gay guy that works these retail stores that loves to wear like button-up shirts with shorts and boots like this like if you know you know like some of you guys if you don't know you don't know but if you worked in retail if you worked in fashion stores <laughs> in general you would know this kind of look of this kind of you know this uh mediterranean they're usually super cool right spanish um italian gay guys who are usually really buff and you know all the girls like them and shit because they're super handsome but they usually love wearing like tailored shorts socks and boots and I feel like Pedro Pascal had that exact same look on. So I did kind of fuck with it just on that scale. Um, then we had one of my favorite looks, I thought overall. And again, we need to give this guy credit because he gets hated on too much on flipping fashion Twitter. And that is Matthew Williams. Matthew Williams designed this amazing, amazing custom look for Gigi Hadid, um, Givenchy custom look by Matthew Williams. And I feel like she absolutely destroyed she looked absolutely incredible, in my opinion. Really, really amazing. Loved the lace, loved the... Just everything about it looked amazing. She looked incredible. So big up Gigi Hadid. She looked great there. Um, Kendall Jenner, legitimately, one of the worst looks I've seen overall. This weird cape, um, this, this weird contraption, whatever it may be, was just horrendous. And it's kind of interesting because, you know, body-wise, this woman, you know, body for days right clearly could put on a flipping plastic bag and look great but sometimes regardless of what you look like physically if the outfit is dead the outfit is dead and that was kind of comforting to see that it doesn't matter if you're fat or small sometimes if your outfit is dead it's gonna look dead and this is a good example of it so kendall jenner no thank you for me kim kardashian same thing this i think was a big miss um you know the 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 whole entire what was it what was the actual thing it was by schiaparelli which i thought was really horrible i didn't like anything about it i thought the hair looked pretty nice but i thought everything else was overdone and a bit yawny and i feel like we've seen this look from kim before so i wasn't really a fan of it especially wearing skims on a red carpet it's like it's a bit much in it um one of my favorite looks was this from the elite white woman of all white women she legitimately might be and again this is something that i'm gonna say as a personal preference i think anne hathaway might be the hottest white woman on earth stone cold fact take all the caucasian ladies out there anne hathaway might be the hottest white woman in the world in my opinion she is disgustingly good looking like on another level 
she just looks she kind of is the kind of woman who i think if you saw in real life you legitimately be stuttering <laughs> like flucko style like you would legitimately be lost for words if you saw her in real life. i think she's that kind of person who you would see her in real life and you would legitimately faint like she looks gorgeous and she had this custom versace look that looked absolutely beautiful personally i think she was definitely one of my favorites i saw on a red carpet ridiculous look um look at the detailing on some of these clips here that look like they're holding to the dress together like with the pearls different color oh nah she's amazing people are saying natalie portman but nah man anne hathaway is legitimately elite anne hathaway is an elite i don't care what anyone says this lady is a fucking smoke show and she's aged gracefully she looks amazing in clothes and she just looks friendly as fuck like she's awesome and halfway forever um johnny Fasachi, you know less said about her the better she's a legend so we're gonna keep on moving here uh jennifer lopez and ralph lauren we don't care about jennifer lopez i thought doja cat's look where she dressed up like one of um carl lagerfeld's cats i felt was pretty cool especially the makeup that she had on um i kind of felt like her essentially meowing and purring in all the interviews was also pretty interesting and fun she just had a bit of fun of it she didn't take herself too seriously people online were flipping losing their shit but i felt like that was cool i was all for it so big up doja cat in um oscar de la renta um i fought um sama hayek and gucci not for me personally um lil nas x was doing way too much with his look also i feel like this was incredibly unnecessary this entire silver bedazzled catsuit type of thing he had on where he essentially was trying to dress up like a cat also but ended up looking horrendous he ended up looking like that guy in 300 but a silver version you know that kind of giant guy in 300 you kind of look like him but if you look really closer into it this isn't this is kind of like look it's all kind of you can see the his skin color inside of his boots so the boots aren't tight enough on his body to kind of hide the sort of you know the paint hasn't gone right down to the bottom and it just looks a little bit of a mess i think towards the end he ended up getting a hole down here or maybe i think the paint came off on his knee as you can see a little bit here i wasn't really a fan of it i think it was a bit it's a bit too much and from red carpet look to go on red carpet with a freaking in your tighty whities was a little bit too much personally for me i didn't like that at all um i thought kylie jenner's look was you know was a little bit mtv awards i don't think this was probably needed at the met gala it wasn't really on theme at all in the slightest but she looked comfortable <laughs> if that makes any sense so big up to her and for sure for sure this look this dress is good if it hasn't been copied or duped already it's definitely going to get copied and duped on places like asos and all those other places like sheen and shit girls are going to be loving this because it looked really comfortable that's one thing she could definitely look comfortable but mate honestly um then you've got uh what's her name aubrey plaza i thought it looked fairly nice i like this from for fair aubrey plaza in stella mccartney and jimmy shoes um i like the addition of the gloves again there was a real distinct lack of hats being worn at the met gala which i thought was a really um kind of a an oversight that a lot of these guys and girls should have gotten into because it would have added to the theatrics of it all and kind of been more in line with the theme but hey what do i know um bad bunny in um jack moose was fairly decent people are going crazy over this but it was basically an all white coke white coke white suit um double breasted 
um, really elegant looking with the back blown out, which was kind of interesting. But overall, not the greatest, but he swagged it out. So big up Bad Bunny, big up Benetta. I thought Billie Eilish looked fairly terrible, not going to lie. I just think in general, she doesn't look the greatest in clothes unless she's wearing streetwear stuff. I think when she puts on like grown woman clothes, she just looks a bit strange. Maybe because we've seen her as a child from the beginning, but I don't know. It just doesn't vibe with me personally. I didn't like it in the slightest, but hey, what do I know? Um, then we got Jenna, is it Jenna Ortega? No, Olivia Rodrigo, that's her name, Jenna Ortega. Big up Olivia Rodrigo. Um, she's been a bit silent since the first album dropped. I think the new album about to drop soon. So good to see her back out there again. Wasn't found the dress or either by Tom Brown. This is definitely a letdown, I feel like, and she definitely deserved better. But again, what do I know? Of course, Bradley Cooper came out and absolutely gave us nothing. So big up Bradley Cooper. <sighs> what else can we say? What else can we say about flipping Giselle Bunchin in this Chanel? Like one of the, you know, one of the flipping icons in modeling um, and just come out there and flipping stung, right? Absolutely incredible outfit that she had on there. So big up her. Pete Davidson absolutely didn't. The bare minimum turned up to the Met Gala wearing a bucket hat. He wore a bucket hat with gloves and sunglasses, like looking terrible. I don't know why he bothered turning up. They didn't even bother listing what he was wearing because he looked absolutely insane. So big up Pete Davidson. Um, Nick Jonas. Uh, is it Nick Jonas? Yeah. Turned up with uh, Pri Priyaka Chopra Jonas. They've actually got a show at the moment. What's it called? Um, the Dip Is it Diplomat? No, it's not called Diplomat. It's called something. It's on Amazon at the moment. Watch it. It's pretty good. If you like thrillers and she's in it, she's fairly decent in the show. Um, she's kind of annoying outside of watching stuff of her acting. But I think she's a fairly competent actor. I'm not going to lie. I quite like her in the series. So definitely check that out if you haven't seen it before. I wish I remembered her name. What's it called? Um, uh, what's her name? Priyanka. What's her name? Pri uh, Priyanka. Priyanka Chopra. She's doing some show on Amazon I'm watching at the moment. Uh, what's it called here? It's called something. Uh, I'm scanning here on my phone. It's a new TV show that I'm watching on Amazon. Two episodes are out now. Uh, let's see here. Oh, it's called Citadel. It's called Citadel. If you like Jason Bourne type style TV shows, check that out. Again, it's not as good as Jason Bourne. Um, it's not as good, but it's definitely you know decent enough to kind of keep you occupied if you've got nothing else to watch. Um, we've got here a look from Cara Delevingne in Carl Lagerfeld um and stuart wisman shoes which is fairly decent i'm not i didn't like it too much but i actually liked her look before i think when she left the hotel she had this kind of look where she kind of dressed up like carl Lagerfeld. i kind of like that um lizzo i felt looked pretty decent also especially considering this is an archive look that she kind of you know had it custom made to sort of fit her figure and just generally i felt looked pretty decent um then we've got nicole kidman looked amazing but unfortunately nicole kidman ruined it with those god awful shoes with that outfit i don't know why she decided to wear those keith urban you know did what keith urban does he put on a suit all well all well in being here a person called eli fanning looks fairly decent i love the little bow thing that she's got in her head i would have taken off the cardigan or whatever that is uh, margot ruby again one of the most beautiful women in the world but for some reason her team really kind of sell down the river with red carpet looks she looked awful i think just boring um it's really weird how that happens because visually she's clearly a very beautiful woman but wherever they put her in clothes she just doesn't look that 
you know, it's never, there's never like, I don't feel like um, she's, she doesn't have a look for the history books. Apart from her looks in movies, I feel like when she's in red carpet looks, there's nothing that you can kind of remember. So, oh my gosh, she looked amazing here. I'm not too sure why that is. Maybe her stylist team are shit. Maybe she doesn't care. But I think Margot Ruby deserves definitely better there. But what do I know? I feel like fucking, um, what's her name? Uh, I keep forgetting these people's name. Dua Lipa. I felt look, looked incredible. If anything, I would have liked Dua Lipa to have taken this look to the end. If I'm not mistaken, this is an archive look from like the 90s when Carl Lagerfeld was designing for Chanel. And in the archive look, I think it might be 94 or something. In the archive look, it actually comes with a little jacket. This look that she has on. This amazing dress where she looks like a flipping princess. Um, it legitimately comes with a little jacket and, and a hat. And I feel like she wore the jacket and a hat. It would have helped to make the tire look a little bit better, personally. But she probably didn't like the jacket. Or they probably couldn't make it fit in time. Who knows? But I thought Dua Lipa looked great. Um, Emily Ratajkowski looked really awesome also. Big up her. Um, Idris Elba turned up in the white suit with his wife. It looked incredible. So big up them. I didn't like the skirt too tough. But I thought they looked fairly good. Um, Mindy Kelling. I'm not too sure who that is. Um, Mark Jacobs turned up with Paris Hilton. I thought Paris Hilton's outfit was fairly nice. And then Lily Collins of Vera Wang was awesome also. Uh, Michelle Yeoh I wasn't really a fan of. Too tough. There's another one. There's a couple other dudes here I want to quickly check out. Naomi Campbell was fairly, I feel like, underwhelming. Although it was an archive look, I feel like she could have come a bit harder than that. But still fairly well put together. Emily Blunt looked pretty good. Emma Chamberlain. What is this, man? Mew Mew for this for this theme didn't make any sense personally. Um, I feel like this was really a missed opportunity. It didn't look like anything fit that great. I just don't understand as a choice for a Met Gala where you're honouring Karl Lagerfeld to wear Mew Mew just seems a bit odd, especially current Mew Mew. I just didn't understand this. This wasn't the greatest from her. I think Emma Chamberlain deserved better from that personally. I thought Kiki um, Palmer looked absolutely incredible. Uh, post baby weight kiki palmer looks great she's quote unquote filled out in all the right places if you know what i mean she looks absolutely incredible so big up kiki palmer she looked incredible wearing sergio hudson um and then of course of course the g of all g's gerard leto the best look that i like about him is when he's in the fairy outfit looking like a flipping cat that was the best look personally for me and I love how it annoyed loads of people on social media, especially some of those more snobbier fashion people out there who just don't know how to have some fun and let their hair down. I think he did a really good job by basically injecting some much-needed fun into the proceedings. So I feel like Jared Leto looked absolutely incredible. I love both looks, but especially the furry cat suit where he dressed up like one of Karl Lagerfeld's cats. So big up Jared Leto for that one. Um, JT from or sorry young miami young miami from city girls i thought looked pretty great also it was a pretty decent coming out moment for her in it to be kind of invited to the met gala was probably a big deal and to kind of get that look was great so i feel like this is a fairly decent first appearance at the met gala so big up young miami and um what's her name janelle monet not for me personally tom brown I'm not really the biggest Tom Brown fan out there. 
we've got Diddy in his bisexual Batman suit and everyone's calling on social media, which is hilarious. They're looking bisexual Batman. But I feel like Diddy's outfit was a little bit too much, a little bit too gaudy, a little bit too much black. I would have maybe broken up, up a little bit slightly, but still, you know, Diddy's got to do what he's going to do. I think it's head to toe, Sean John. Um, I don't know about those two people. You've got Thames here and Robert Woon. Um, I think the guys got done dirty with Burberry. Um, you got Burner Boy here wearing one version of Burberry, and then you got Skepta on the back wearing a different version. So same color, different sort of check patterns going on there, which is pretty crazy. Mary J. Blige looked like she was going to explode, but you know we let Auntie do what Auntie does, and the rest, you know, the rest of the rest. There's more here I want to go through, but. My screen here is not loaded for some reason and I can't see them and there's too much to mention and I don't want to go through the whole entire thing. But maybe we should here. We've got who this lady here, Madeline Klein. I don't know who that is. You've got um, Julius Tennant and Viola Davis. Viola Davis looks incredible. I thought she looked really good. Tiana Taylor, I thought, looked really good in her. Tom Brown, maybe a bit much, but she looked great. Um, what's the basketball player? Brittany Griner looked absolutely horrendous. This legitimately looked like what Shaq used to look like. Do you remember Shaq? Oh, sorry. That's what I remember. Uh, is it Shaq in a brown suit? Yeah, that's it. Shaq cream suit. There's a picture of Shaq in a cream suit. And I legitimately thought that's what Brittany Griner looked like. I think this is Shaq from the 90s also. There's this famous image of Shaq standing next to this woman. I don't know who the woman is. Maybe it's his wife. This is the one. Do you remember this picture? from ages ago this is during i think mtv music awards video mtv music awards right there's Shaq standing is that his wife or somebody i don't know who that is maybe it's his wife in this outfit this is what that britney grinder outfit looked like to me it legitimately reminded me of this i swear to god this is what it reminded me of that that is what britney grinder was going for like this shit like she looked legitimately awful like what the hell is she doing brother like god damn britney deserve better than that you don't you don't sit in a gulag in the middle of russia you know what i mean and and end up at your first met gala looking like this she deserved better than this man for sure they did her dirty um but anyway what can we do we go in here um alexander danarino in your home i don't know who that is oliver roystig looked amazing i thought personally in balmain the 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 tote bag was a nod to a classic tote that um, I forgot what the brand that did it did, but basically um, Carl Lagerfeld embraced the tote and started wearing it around, which is super iconic and kind of you know Olive, o Olivier um, basically as a nod to Carl did the did the tote for Barmain in this amazing leather with Carl who emblazoned on the outside, which looked absolutely incredible. So that was a really nice little nod for the heads out there who know. Um, and then we also have here. Maya Penn and Stuart Beveris here. Not really a fan of that look. You got Erica Badu in Marnie. Not really a fan of that look either. You got Russell Westbrook in Bode, which looks, I think, absolutely terrible. Personally, for me, not 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 the best. Um, you got Alex Noel and Christian Serrano. Not for me. You got Carla Bruni when she's not being a racist. She's over here in the in, in the United States, you know, doing her thing looking what she's looking like in Karl Lagerfeld one of my favorite looks was this guy whoever this person is Conan Gray 
Not really too familiar with Conan Gray or Conan Gray, Conan, however you pronounce his name. But I thought Conan Gray in Balmain was incredible. I really loved this. was one of my favorite men's looks for sure. I think the men absolutely smashed it. And I feel like he was definitely one of the standouts. Like this looks incredible. All the pearls, all the detailing. This looks great. The classic sort of like Karl Lagerfeld inspired, um, you know, Chelsea boots with the Cuban or the Cuban heel boot type of things they had going on. Like, you know, with the extra bit of height inserted. I think he looked incredible. Um, this guy, Zach Posted, not too familiar with that one. Um, this dude, I think Jeremy Pope, the actor, he looked really good also in this outfit that featured a cape with Karl Lagerfeld's image sort of like emblazoned on it. I thought this looked really awesome. So big up Jeremy Pope for taking chances there. Stella McCartney arrived. She looked great also, especially considering her age. She looks incredible. Um, big up Stella McCartney. Uh, I think this lady looked really great. Uh, Lily James. In, she was wearing uh, Tamara Ralph Couture. This was really cool. It's an amazing leather look. And this lady also is looking really cool. I like her. Um, Amanda Seyfried in Oscar de la Rente. And of course, Kate Moss, not the greatest personally for me in Fendi. And um, my guy, Alton Mason and Carl Lagerfeld, looked, I felt really cool also, personally. Again, um, you know, I felt the guys all smashed it at the Met Gala. But overall, it was a bit of a damp squid. I feel like it didn't really kind of hit the notes it probably should have hit. But hey, it kind of is what it kind of is in that regard. I'm not going to bore you too much with more Met Gala looks. But that is my overall impression of it so far. And what I've seen over all. So what else have we got here I want to speak about? What else do we have here that I want to speak about? Um, Let's move on to this one. Let's see. Oh, that's what I want to talk about. So I think I mentioned my topic that I want to mention here before I close out was regarding pharrell <clears throat> so pharrell was at his festival called something in the water and he may have debuted may have debuted what we may see for his up-and-coming collection for louis vuitton right at the something in the water festival and so far it's kind of looking underwhelming not gonna lie it shouldn't be a surprise for most people i think you know considering pharrell's expertise isn't really in fashion especially when it comes to creating a whole entire line. I've said it before. I think some of his greatest work has come from being under the tutelage of a Nego and a skate thing with Billionaire Boys Club. What he did with that in the beginning was, you know, crazy good. And also his smaller capsule collections and collaborations were awesome. You know, whether it be the stuff he did with Montclair or whatever, bits and bobs, glasses, stuff he's done in terms of, you know, shoes and whatnot great but i feel like he's maybe not the greatest dude to go overall and be like collect de designing a 30 plus look collection probably isn't gonna sit the greatest and so far judging from what i've seen little drips and drabs first of all this picture that we have here of pharrell wearing what looks to be like a motocross inspired jacket which features some louis vuitton you know logos and whatnot and branding and some other bits and pieces and something in the water on there you would assume that some of this stuff may be things he has been working on in his atelier over there in paris right when he's not performing on stage when he's not gallivanting around going to private views you know this is maybe what he's been designing on the side not too sure 
because we haven't seen i don't think we've seen a single picture of him in the studio so far you know designing or anything so i don't know when he last actually picked up a pencil and made something about who knows but i'm not really that encouraged by it i think what we're gonna see from throughout louis vuitton coming up is definitely a really well-produced show it's gonna be fun show there's gonna be some great music maybe some someone will come out and perform maybe you have an incredible band um, but I think the quality of the clothes won't be that great. Won't be that great, personally. It won't be that interesting. Maybe not great. It won't be that interesting. I feel like Virgil, God bless the dead, even though you maybe didn't rate it, it really was interesting. I feel like, you know, it kind of was, it kind of offered up a really good in conversation starter. It maybe was a really good sort of like insight and sort of like a snapshot into what he was thinking, you know, at that time. Um, and where he was, you know, creatively, artistically. But I feel like with Pharrell, I feel like we'll get a really, very well-produced fashion show. It may actually be a, one of those things that kind of pushes things forward, but will it be great in terms of fashion? I don't know. In terms of the clothing, I'm not too sure because from what I've seen so far, you know, the motocross jacket trend thing, I feel like is kind of dying. I feel like that was a thing maybe a couple of years ago. It's sort of like towards the end of it. And, you know, pfft. I don't know. If I was Louis Vuitton, would I want my name associated and brand with with such basic merch like this? Or such uh, easy to kind of glean from pieces like this? I don't really know. I'm not really too sure. And then to take make matters even worse, the official festival merch for something in the water is like, I don't know, a thousand pounds or something? Right? This is a, meant to be, imagine, right? Look where we are in culture. People attend festivals and when you go to festivals, usually there's some merch from the festival that they make that you can buy there. And it's usually kind of shit that you probably wouldn't wear outside the festival anyway. But it's something to commemorate your time there and to kind of give you a little bit of something to look back on during your time and maybe a little bit of a momentum. So, memento. So, maybe it's not even something that you wear. It's just something you kind of have in your wardrobe just to kind of say, oh, yeah, I went to this festival. So, you do that and you don't mind spending $20, $30, $50. But would you spend $800 to buy this Pharrell-designed Louis Vuitton merch collection for a festival? And this is likely going to be like $800 plus because, you know, Louis Vuitton t-shirts probably start at $500. So for a t-shirt to go to a festival. So the funny thing about it is that most likely the t-shirt is more than the actual festival ticket. And if, from what I'm led to believe and the clips I've seen online and the lineups they have, Something in the Water is actually one of the better festivals out there. It's pretty decent. So you're paying more for a, for a flipping t-shirt than you're paying for a festival that features some really incredible artists covering a whole breadth of genres in an interesting part of the USA in terms of Virginia that people probably don't really think about too much when it comes to live music or when it comes to festivals, especially in a big scale in this way. But it's obviously the birthplace of someone as influential as Pharrell and countless other musicians who have come out of there. But him bringing that festival to a place like Virginia, I'm, I'm sure has helped the local economy. So it's quite, it's amazing, it's awesome. But it's still a festival merch. Imagine spending that much on festival merch. Like the t-shirts just design wise look awful, I think. On the front it's got Virginia is for lovers with the L V on there, right? A bit cringe, a bit lame. And at the back it's got Paris of VA VA to Paris. And then you have this denim jacket um featuring the square print that Louis Vuitton's kind of famous for. And again it's got the same logo and the t shirt on the back of it. And then you've got the hoodie. 
Like it, this, this legitimately is ridiculously uninspiring and awful. And if this is any kind of prelude indication of where Pharrell is going with his appointment at Louis Vuitton, I think everybody like myself included who was skeptical of his appointment in the first place and felt it was a little bit underwhelming considering all the heavyweight talent that was sort of been, you know, floated about before he was appointed, like the Martin Rose out there and whatnot. For him to go out there and put together a collection that might feature stuff like this on a runway, Oh, it's going to be crazy to see the reviews because if this is an indication of what we're going to see, it's going to be absolute massacre on that runway. It's going to be a well-produced show, for sure, for sure. But, but the clothing is going to be great. I don't think so, from what we can see so far. Because from what we see so far, it looks very uninspiring. Um, the motocross jacket, I feel like, has been done to death overall, the trend-wise, and I feel like this merch leaves a lot to be designed especially if you have all the resources that Louis Vuitton have to create this sort of merch to give to your fans is crazy and to also charge as much as he's probably charging for it is wild let's actually check the link the link to go to the store to see how much is they're, they're retailing for but I'd imagine the merch is retailing for $500 minimum minimum for sure for festival merch which is usually nothing more than $50 usually nothing more than $50 so it's loading up on the screen now for me and from what I can see so far, <laughs> holy shit. Okay, no, okay. I thought this is the merch. This is just the regular stuff that's first to come into the store. Okay, there's not so much. We don't really have any details of it yet. Let's just click more. I thought this is okay because I saw like 1200 for a bracelet. I was like, oh my God, this is crazy. But I think so. Regardless of it loading, I think it's going to be a real, real, real steep price. And you're going to have to just, you know, you're going to have to back out the flipping wallet if you want one of those for sure. Anyway, that has been the Excellence Dinger Show episode number 669, I think. Thanks so much for tuning in. Been a pleasure to have your company. If you're listening to the show via the audio platform, you'll hear my tune of the day underneath playing this flipping sound of me speaking. If you're watching via the audio platform of the show, video, sorry, point of the show, you won't hear nothing. You'll just fade to black. Um, and then the show will end. But thanks again for tuning in to the Excellence English Show. It's been a pleasure to have your company. I really have enjoyed it. If you don't be watching live, hang on. I will be starting the live stream for the random show. So if you want to do that, jump onto the live random show live stream. You'll have to find out my channel if you're already on there. And then I'll see the rest of you guys again very, very soon. Thank you for tuning in. It's been a pleasure. Never a chore. See you guys again very soon. Take care. Peace. Peace. Driving in your car Oh, please don't drop me home Because it's not my home It's their home and I'm welcome no more And if a double-decker boss Crashes into
Take me 